I'm Dustin Zahn, and this is Trainwrecks. This week's guest is someone that I'm really excited to have on the show. It's Kurt X of the Drop Bass Network. When I decided I was going to start doing a podcast, I had to start thinking of names that I want to have on, uh, some of the characters and personalities that I've met in my life, and Kurt immediately shot to the drop of my list. Uh, if you don't know who he is, he was quite a big rave promoter in the Midwest uh of the United States back in the 90s and early 2000s. He also managed the record label, uh, Drop Bass, and was also a DJ. This guy's super interesting. I mean, he's not one of your current big shot DJs that's on Resident Advisor or something, but he's got tons of stories. Uh, he is responsible for booking tons of regional acts back in the day, like Terry Mullen, Hyperactive, Adam X, Mystic Bill, and more. Uh, on the global front, he booked people like Richie Houghton, Moby, Aphex Twin, IF, Mixmaster Morris, Tech Itch. And uh, if you've seen the documentary, you'll know that he was the first one, along with the help of Woody McBride, to book Daft Punk for their first ever U.S. performance. Uh, for me, his parties were some of the craziest parties ever. They were really intense. They were They were basically like outlaw parties. Uh, the kind of things that your parents definitely didn't want you to go to. Uh, it was kind of the wrong crowd at the wrong places. And uh, I don't mean that in a bad way. I mean it in a awesome way. Um, because of this crazy view on things and all these rumors of mythic proportions, some of them are technically true, uh, it gave this guy a cult-like status. Um so here we go. We're going to have a chat with Kurt X that talks about everything from his beginnings to the further parties where you'd have people like Richie Houghton playing Black Sabbath records, uh, duct taping people to trees, uh, doing lots of acid, and so much more. This is a guy has he has no problem with admitting who he is or what he does, and I think this industry could use a little bit more of that these days. I hope you enjoy the interview. All right, so I'm here with Kurt X from Drop Bass. Um, he started a lot of things for the Midwest back in uh, roughly what year? 93? 92. 92. And um, since then, there was about, what, 80-plus parties? Roughly, yeah. 80 parties, a uh, record label that made it up to 70 releases. And um, there's a lot of mythology and a lot of uh, true stories behind it. And we can just go through a little bit of that today. We don't, we, we don't have to tell the true stories, though. We can. No, we, you always go with the legends, up, right? All right, yeah, you always <laughs> go with the legend. All right, that's what I do. But um, those are more entertaining. Basically, though, um, I drove about three and a half hours from Minneapolis. We're out in the middle of uh, Amish country doing a little interview out in the barn that has been kind of transformed into like a, I don't know, what would you call it? Do you have a? Uh, we we call it barn gain now. So barn gain, yeah, <laughs> kind of like Bergheim. <laughs> Um, yeah. Oh, yeah, I'm pronouncing it wrong. Yeah, well, they all do, so <laughs> bar and kind, something like that. But uh, basically, it's uh, it's got a lot of the artifacts from the old parties, um, a lot of the propaganda and flyers and stuff like that, and it's pretty interesting. Try and get some pictures later. Um, so anyway, I just wanted to start off real basically by saying, like, what kind of, uh, I heard, was it like the storm raves where you kind of got going? Where we came from? Yeah, like what kind of got you into it? Actually, no, we preceded that by about a year as far as like the interest goes. I mean, my interest came through just mostly 
you know, I started in punk and uh, hair metal, and then got into uh, industrial along the way, and then started going to this club in Chicago called Medusa's, mm-hmm. and that's really where it all started for me. Was that also the club that kind of had more acid house coming in later, or? Yeah, it was a it was a teen, it was a juice club, and uh, they had like a under eighteen thing that went till like eleven, and then over eighteen from eleven until three o'clock. It wasn't open late like uh or maybe only two o'clock even but they they changed the theme like every month and downstairs was all like you know industrial and acid and new beat and stuff like that and then upstairs kind of varied it used to be a video room and then for a while there was a house room where all the hot mix five guys would come up there and stuff like that and uh so that's where I kind of just got the interest in the music was it mostly djs or was it bands too or it was all djs but they did have multiple rooms there and sometimes they had bands playing in some of the side rooms but they had concerts there and stuff too like on nights when they weren't doing the 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 club was open wednesday friday and saturday was there anybody notable or just kind of like locals playing stuff or no it was all i mean all the notable people that were from the beginning of uh you know house music and acid Mm -hmm. house and stuff were always swinging by there and i think um spanky was a resident there for a while and uh like terry bristol and uh i can't remember there was a couple other guys names who's not my memory's going but yeah, all right. <laughs> but they're all legends at chicago for sure you know so and then like al jorgensen and all those guys were always hanging out there and uh you know the guys from revolting cox like all the all the wax tracks people okay. are coming in and out through the door all the time you know excellent and then yeah because i remember reading a passage i don't remember which book it was from some about you and tommy sunshine in a van going to or from the storm raves or yeah we actually went to the last storm rave that was in 92 and it was sort of it was uh I guess uh, at that time we were tight with uh, uh, Heather from Under One Sky reading her zine because we, we started like a fake record store mm-hmm. so we could get the Watts list, you know, and then we're buying records through that every week and using her zine for like tips and stuff like that. And then so just through that, writing in, uh, letters to them and talking to them, we got to know Adam and Frankie and stuff and then her, learned about the Storm Raves. And, yeah, we went out to the one that was on Stanton Island in 92, but it turned out to be the last one, but it was kind of a – epiphany moment for both me and tommy it was like i wanted to go harder and he wanted to get the hell out so yeah yeah definitely you know to this day you guys definitely split at least musically where you're going from there but um for a lot of people that don't know the storm raves out in new york was uh it was a pretty big deal at the time you know you got adam x and frankie bones and a lot of these guys that were it was all illegal warehouse spaces but what what, five thousand people or was it smaller no the one we went to was probably three thousand and i'd say like 2900 of them were dudes and you know it was a horse barn and in like Mm -hmm. said on Staten island it was you know lenny d frankie bones adam x ralphie d you know just slamming music start Mm -hmm. to finish you know and and these people it was like uh, it was nothing i'd ever seen before like they were it was like church for them you know kind of like mm-hmm. it had turned out to be for the rest of us or whatever but they were just like worshiping that altar up there and just going mental like crazy yeah like i heard it was really intense would you i mean obviously it was an intense experience but was it intense like it was a lot to handle for people like there was too energetic or was it just kind of the experience that made it intense or I think it was just the music mostly that was making it intense because there was there wasn't a big ass sound system, you know. And this predates like Woody's stuff, you know. So it was like the biggest sound system I had seen. Supposedly it was Mariah Carey's touring system, is what, what if I remember correctly. But mm-hmm. big wall of bass, you know, and they had a chain link fence in front of it, so you couldn't get close to it. And that was Tommy was climbing the fence, you know, just going mental at the time. Mm-hmm. But uh, and 
you know, it was kind of a, like, it was all just really hard music, you know, and they were, it was kind of borderline, you know, like a concert slam dancing, you know, but I mean, they were just really into it because, like, these guys were their heroes, you know, and I think yeah. a lot of people knew them out there and stuff, and, like, that was the one where Frankie Bones got stranded in Canada, and then he showed up, uh, ended up making it to the party, you know, just 10 minutes before he went on, and he had this, like, emotional speech, you know, Frankie's never shy around a microphone, and, like, seriously, like, the place just went ape shit like I've, it was like goosebumps you know and everybody's just freaking out like you know jesus has arrived <laughs> you know, and he yeah. brought a creator records let's go nuts you know that's awesome yeah and then so you said that was an epiphany moment was that at the point where you decided you're gonna throw parties or were you already doing it then, no or? i'd already done like a whole year of parties at okay. that point so but it was an epiphany moment for me and like in the way a lot of things happen for me like throughout the years where it's just like you realize you think you could do something but then you're like i don't know this is doesn't seem right and being there i was like oh no this this works you know so for there that it was like seeing a party that had hardcore all night you know we were always doing you know a little jungle some hardcore and then house you know it was always just like a kind of not a formula but it was just like everything mm -hmm. you know and but i mean if you you know just we come back from that and at, that was in I don't know if it was December or January. It was in the winter in 92. And, like, the next party I threw, it, the big party I threw in 93 was our one-year anniversary party. And it was just like, you know what? We're doing hardcore start to finish. And then the next one was even harder, you know? Mm -hmm. We did a party called Genesis after that, you know? It was with Lenny D and stuff. It was like, just see see what we can do with this, you know? And and the 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 crazy thing is it didn't – it made people more disciples to what we were doing rather than scare them away, which – was probably yeah <laughs> so then then we got a little nuts we're like thinking you know we could you kind of start thinking you can do whatever you want you know because like these kids are into this you know yeah i mean you know that music obviously it was niche even by electronic music standards oh yeah for sure so you know i think when people find this outlet they really can kind of latch onto it they can call it theirs and since you can't find it much they're really going to give themselves to it yeah, I think it helped being in Milwaukee, which is sort of a you know industrial blue collar town and everything, and everybody was into punk rock and uh, industrial music, you know, and it was it wasn't hard for them to to gravitate towards this, you know. Yeah, I mean, in the Midwest, maybe it was different out on the West Coast or something, but of course in Detroit, you had Detroit techno going off, which was soulful. Yeah, Chicago had house. Wisconsin, for those of you in Europe or whatever, is next door, just to the left, and it's very. It's not very cultural. There's a lot of white people. <laughs> and uh, so, like you said, it's really heavy rock-oriented, and um, I think they just kind of adapted to that more little crazy, just going for it music. That Yeah, and, well, and plus, too, it's like we didn't have uh, a lot of competition at the time, you know, so it's like we were it. So this is what we were giving them, so that's all they knew. You know, had there been half a dozen promoters at the time doing the parties that we were doing, it may have turned out to be a whole different story mm -hmm. but like they didn't know anybody they just wanted to go to these things that these rave parties are going on in these warehouses and yeah. this by the way is the music we listen to get into it you know totally so i mean obviously of course with the label that came about drop bass network it's always really had a emphasis on hardcore and acid so over the years i mean you did everything like you said drum and bass chill out techno you name it would you say that acid and hardcore and a little bit of techno was like your primary focus and the other stuff was secondary or were you into all of it equally for for the label or for the parties 
Uh, more for the parties. The label was obviously more. Yeah. Well, I mean, though. I'm into all of it. You know, I mean, for a long time there, I was a, a drum and bass DJ, and we had the the Ghetto Safari sub label, which was a more of a techie kind of drum and bass uh, label. And I mean, I, the only kind of music I don't really get into um, is like deep house, you know, soulful house, you know, just like really mm-hmm. vocally house music. I just I just can't get into it. And then unfortunately, I don't really get into like all the really stringy detroit techno stuff either you know mm-hmm. like I, I like underground resistance you know yeah. not Derek may you know or carl craig so yeah. not that i don't like them but i'm yeah. just saying like if i'm gonna listen to a record that's what i'm gonna listen yeah. to because i mean uh you know as we go more into the history and we'll go through it real shortly here you know the parties the lineups that you did have and i'll i'll mention some of the names the headliners at the time were some of the best at what they did and some of them today are like most some of the most legendary names you can think of and um so even if uh you know you've had some soulful guys like i consider hard kiss to be pretty soulful and vocally and you know they were they were a huge deal at that point yeah well, hard kiss i love hard kiss you know yeah. I, I mean i guess what i'm thinking like soulful I, you know just think of chicago house soulful you know yeah like, uh, house or like you know, new york like, house you know like yeah. that kind of stuff but like the west coast stuff like all that uh i guess they were calling it trip hop at the time and and you know the it had more of a psychedelic edge to it and i guess that's where if it sounds good on drugs i'm gonna like it so fair enough <laughs> that's, that's pretty much my my deal so the label what year did it start in exactly our first we announced the label in at our one-year anniversary party so it was 93 and woody played at that and he played a dat of uh the perfect awareness the first track that was on the label and then it came out that fall like august-ish or something okay and that's woody mcbride for those yeah, of so, you um yeah so the label kind of coincided alongside the parties the entire time. Um, I think we'll get into the label a little bit later. I guess, you know, let's kind of go down the history of the parties now. Um, I'm going to mention a couple names for people. I mean, they had tons of people that uh, played over the years that deserve recognition till the end. Um, some of the regulars that were a little bit more regional, you had like Mr. Bill, Nick Nice, Terry Mullen, Woody McBride. Yep. Um you know, those guys were often playing a lot. You were playing at your parties. Uh, and a lot of the notable names that you have today, obviously I think the biggest one you can think of is Daft Punk. Right. Um, you had their first ever U.S. performance, if I'm not mistaken, yep. right? Yep. And that's uh, that's actually that YouTube video is – you can search for that now and every, I don't know, well, six actually, months. Actually, it's uh, the BBC in, in Paris just did docu- documentary on Daft Punk. Oh, yeah? So the guy, a friend of mine who shot that video, licensed it to them, so it keeps getting taken down now. Oh, <laughs> so it okay. doesn't it doesn't float around on YouTube too much, but... I'm sure people can find yeah, it. Yeah, you could... At the very least, you can download the audio, and uh, it's pretty wild. It's very heavy on the acid tip, which was... Uh, Par for the chorus back then, especially with drop bass, and there was a lot of early versions of I think Defunk had just come out around that time, and that's pretty much what sold Daft Punk to the party was Defunk. Because Terry mm-hmm. Mullen put it on a mixtape, so everybody knew that song, and they're playing it at every party constantly. You know, so that's why when we booked them, you know, for Woody, it was just like a really cool live PA that he saw, mm-hmm. like it was pure live. He played with them over in Paris and. Dave Prince, my partner on the party, also had saw them over in Paris too, and was like, "This this PA is amazing," but yeah, it was just it was like one of those things. I guess I, I was always doing stuff off the, we, yeah, not really like we kind of had a motto like we were just gonna give people what they needed, not what they wanted. Yeah. So that was what we did, and 
that was one of the cases. But in that case, it makes us look like heroes, you know, 20 years later. So I'll take it. Yeah. Well, I mean, that's obviously the biggest success case because, you know, kids dress up as as them now for Halloween. But just other names that you had, you got uh, Hyperactive, Moby Live, who is also huge, Richie Houghton numerous times, Uh, Aphex Twin, who he was at the first further, right? Uh, Dave Clark, Josh Wink, Alec Empire, and Carl Crack. They were separate, though, right, from Atari Teenage Riot? No, we had I had both Atari Teenage Riot once and then Alec Empire a couple times and then like some of the other people from his label, okay. like Carl separately and Shizuo separately. Mm-hmm. Uh, Johannes Heil, Heiko Lauk, Slam, Funk Devoid. User, maybe. I know he's on the flyer. I don't know. We'll get into that. I don't know if he actually Yeah, he didn't make it up. It was, it was an accident. <laughs> uh, UFO, uh, Tech Itch, you know, some of the drum and bass guys, Mixmaster Morris. I even was just browsing flyers yesterday. Devious one from Minneapolis, friend of ours. That he was on. Uh, I feel like called, we were one of his first gigs. Yeah, like he, it was. He was. He was at the bottom of the flyer, but it was called Big Rave. It was like him. Oh and yeah, Mr. yeah, Boy, Big so. Master Mike. Yeah, and uh, <laughs> yeah, you know, in the last four or five years, he's blowing up big time. You know. So, yeah, 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 for sure. Uh, all kinds of names that are still around or. Don't forget Psychic on. TV. That was one of our. I didn't even know that. That's awesome. Yeah, they were at the first psychosis party. Awesome. When Richie Rich was, st- or Richie Houghton was Richie Rich still on the flyer. Wow. <laughs> Funny. So yeah, I mean, there's there's tons of uh, tons of notable acts, and of course, there's lots I didn't list that were playing even better than some of these guys. You yeah. know what I mean? Um, but those are people that I think from all over the planet can kind of point out and recognize. Um, yeah. So I don't know. I guess tell me about like uh, the early parties. I I want to know like, you know, what it kind of took to get it off the ground. What what people thought about it in central Wisconsin at the time. and Yeah, well, I guess the, the good place to start is just the name, you know, and where where that came from. That kind of leads into, like, you know, you got to have a plan. You got to sell people to get into something, you know. And when me and my uh, roommate Pat were trying to – we, I was heavy into this Medusa stuff. And my biggest – I'm a big fan of Jesus and Mary Chain, so I was always reading, mm-hmm. like, Enemy and Melody Maker and stuff back in the day. And you're also seeing all the stuff about Manchester and Acid House, you know, just like I, when Medusa's kind of started going down, they were doing like these hit and run parties in Chicago, which were early rave kind of deals. And uh, it just like it was just a matter of time. You know, I was like, this is going to come to America and it's going to come. And when it does, we're going to we're going to this is what I want to do, you know, because mm-hmm. I always want to have a club, but didn't want it to have like the same environment all the time, you know. So that's why the idea of doing like different parties like regularly was mm-hmm. more appealing. So. When it finally did come to Chicago, then it was like, you know, game on. We're going to do this here in Milwaukee, you know. So we were trying, we were searching around, thinking about what we wanted to call this. And for me, it's like just everything I am into musically is kind of like, I don't know who said it, but someone was like the antidote that contains a disease kind of thing. You know, it's like soft and sweet, but then there's this like sinister side to it, you know. Mm -hmm. So it was like with uh, the name, I kind of wanted to reflect that too. So I was really big on like having a, some that was both uh, drugs and music, you know, because to me they're one and the same, you know, like that's what, you know, a, an artist might not want to hear that, but a person who throws parties, that's what they do. In so. the early 90s, it was much more, <laughs> they were they were intertwined. Like right. nowadays in the media, you know, people try to kind of shy away from the discussion about drugs, but let's be honest, back then that was a pretty big part of it. And, oh, yeah, for uh, sure. So, you know, I mean, I know that explain like the whole drop base and uh, further. Well, so, yeah, so I was saying what the name was. So it was like we wanted the uh, the the music and the drugs kind of going in it, you know, whatever. And I th- we just were kicking some ideas around. And I was like, 
drop was always, you know, just had a double, double meaning to mm-hmm. it, you know? So I was really into that. And I think we had set, he, Pat was kind of pushing on Omnibase or something like that. He was really into bass, you know? And then, so we just kind of combined the two and just came up with drop bass. And at the time there was this group in Chicago called uh, E-System Rave Network, you know, which again, it was drug music. And then mm-hmm. they, had, they threw a network there. And it, it was just, you know, three guys down, three or four guys down in Chicago. But, you know, you see that on a flyer and you think, you know, like Spiral Tribe, this this is a big deal, you know? So mm-hmm. we just, I thought the same thing, you know, just like we wanted that third word on there. So even now when I say drop bass, I always like to include the, the network part of it, especially now with EDM and drop bass being like, a, a standard term. Yeah, exactly. <laughs> you know, I, I want to. I was. I guess I was before, ahead of my time on the name, but now I want to separate myself from what's going on now. But anyway, so that's what we came up with, you know. And then Pat had come up with that first logo where with the arrow idea, and I think he had like a 120 hertz, like or something mm-hmm. like inside the arrow, you know, to kind of signify bass dropping or whatever. And it was kind of cheesy or corny. And then for whatever reason it evolved into that that circle with the arrow wrapping around it and then then pointing down and you know at the time it didn't it just meant dropping bass you know and i guess it was just looked kind of cool but in in time once we had the label going and stuff you know we took that to be the world you know and that we were dropping bass across the world you know and that was kind of our deal but then we, but from there we evolved into that skull logo which is a whole nother story so yeah i don't know how much running into that i mean i guess so, well, so then, you know, so then we had a name, you know, so, and like that first party we did was E&E's, you know, which was the M&M's package with the M's turned sideways, you know, we weren't, we were never, I don't think I've ever shied away from like saying, hey, there's drugs at these parties, you know, yeah. and, uh, and that was just, you know, a few local DJs and we did it in the warehouse that uh, we lived in and it was, it was cool, you know, I mean, it was, we, we purposely rented this place to, uh, to do this party, but we lived in it for yeah. six months also. And it used to be a warehouse that uh, had skate ramps in it, you know, and so mm-hmm. I've, I'd been in that warehouse a lot. It, it's a, a real twisted story on like how we got into this place. Cause I mean, there's a lot of connections that go b- farther back and, and whatnot. But the first party, like, I guess totally illegal, nothing, you know, no permits, no anything, obviously, because who who knew what, that you needed any of that stuff then. It wasn't the first party in Milwaukee, but the, you know, there had been a couple other mm-hmm. ones but I think the one thing about this one that kind of stood out is we had about, I want to say like six, 700 people there. And it was, a, it was a good party. A lot of people came out from Chicago, which, you know, stoked us and whatnot. But we had uh, some of our gay friends, we told them, you know, if they come dressed in drag after hours, you know, we'll let them all in free. Mm-hmm. So at the same time, the police showed up. So do several carloads mm-hmm. of like drag queens, you know. So it was like it was it was basically our permit, you know. They're not busting this party now because yeah, exactly. They don't know what the hell's going on, you know. So they came, showed up, and saw this all these guys, girls coming in, and we're just like, all right, this is uh, this is beyond what we're trying to figure out here. So we're just gonna let it go. And that's that's ninety two. You're what early twenties at that time, late teens, were roughly. Yeah, mid twenties. Okay. Yeah. So, so yeah, that was always one of my conundrums was always i i was and it actually it happened the, the the talk that i got was in this venue was uh i was always you know five to ten years older than everybody else in the scene and mm-hmm. and it just part of it you know seemed kind of creepy but just part of it seemed kind of weird to me and i just couldn't get my head around it and then one of the one of these guys that uh 
art guy artist that I looked up to or whatever had a talk with me and was just talking to me about the punk scene, you know, and how like all the people that are pushing these buttons, you know, the people's behind the screens, you know, like the Malcolm McLarens and stuff, you know, they weren't the the kids doing all this stuff, you know, it was like the adult, you know, a little bit older than, you know, just mm-hmm. think of it as like a you're wiser, not older, you know. So I ran with that for well till now. Good. <laughs> <laughs> well, I mean, I think you know. You kept the parties going for roughly 80 strong and it went, uh, let's say, I think it was 10 or 11 years, yeah, 12, if not a little yep. longer. So, I mean, obviously you did a good job at it. And, uh, yeah, I mean, just looking at some of these flyers here, and I went through some last night online. Um, if you guys are interested, head to dropbase.net. Um, it's a severely outdated website. So. It is, but there's <laughs> but, a, but all the flyers are there. All the flyers are there. It's chronological, and you'll be pretty surprised at the names you'll see. I mean, a lot of these people you think have just popped up in the last few years, but the reality is they've been doing this for 20-plus years. And yeah, when I, when I was looking back at these older things, you know, I mean, we did the first couple parties we did, we, you know, we did them as drop base alone. And I'm not sure what my thinking was at the time, but, like, other people that were throwing parties, it was, wasn't ever like, you know, you look at your competition and I never really thought of them as competitors. I w- like, for whatever reason, right away, I, I brought them into the fold, you know? So it's like, mm-hmm. we weren't going to try to do this alone, you know? We we're going to try to, like, bring people in, you know? So, like, our third party, we were already combining, you know, forces with, like, the other crew that was in Milwaukee. And I think this was the last party they did, you know? They, they helped us on this one, and then they were done. And, like, the party after that, which was this party we did called Flavor Rave, it was uh, this guy, Robin, who was throwing parties at the time, and, you know, we brought him in or he brought us in actually on it and you know the next party he did was the the infamous grave rave which was involved with woody where every you know 900 people got arrested and stuff so he was gone too you know so was, i guess it's kind of that uh well i guess touched on on that real briefly i mean you don't have to go into detail but 900 people got arrested at this party what was uh what was the story there in short uh, in short we did this party called tempest in october the middle of october and by then, the police had already showed up at most of the parties and knew something was going on. They were trying to figure it out, and they really didn't have any idea. But um, then we did this party, Tempest, and it was you know a legal party in a warehouse, and you know same old story. And uh, they did a lot of uh, reconnaissance, I guess, at that one, just watching it, trying to trying to figure out what was going on. They even mm-hmm. actually they ended up coming inside because I asked them to come inside because we had a problem with some gangbangers who were getting out of control and like it was like this you know someone's gonna get hurt we, you know so we had them just do a walkthrough and and they sort of built a case on it you know like okay these are these big after hours alcohol parties you know the next one that happens in milwaukee we're going after you know mm-hmm. and it wasn't my party thankfully so <laughs> the next one they went after and yeah they came in guns drawn and arrested it was 900 and some people it was woody mcbride did that party with uh Nick Nice from Madison and uh, that guy Robin that I mentioned before, and I think Rob Hood was uh, the headliner at that one, and mm-hmm. it was like it was a big deal, you know, because it sort of a, uh, you know, the ACLU got involved and it was you know a big black eye on the the Milwaukee police, so it sort of set the stage. And ironically, I mean, you would think like that was the you know within six months of parties happening in Milwaukee, like something that major and something that made them look that bad would the end of it you know yeah. and that's actually one of the things the police made the promoters of that party say on the news you know this has been the grave of rave you know <laughs> and they did and and instead it just was sort of like a challenge to us like oh no we're gonna 
we're going to do this and you're never going to figure it out now. Yeah. <laughs> you know? So, and I mean, that was 92 and then it's like, we're still doing parties in 2003, you know? So, well, that's just it. Like, uh, you know, in the early nineties, the cops are just like, no way in hell it's we're you're done. This is over. Right. Whereas, uh, meanwhile in Holland, which was where it was going off a lot of hardcore stuff. I'm, I'm sure you're familiar with a lot of the names and labels out there. They actually took it the other way. They're like, let's capitalize on this. And, they, they, you know, there's uh, YouTube videos of, like, uh, you know, people starting off real young, like kids. Of course, yeah. they're not taking drugs or drinking. But uh, now Holland's a major club culture uh, or a festival culture. You know, it's uh, it's just what happens. Whereas here, it's still a, a black sheep. And even though we're now in the age of EDM and SFX and all that, you still can't. It's not taken seriously, even though these artists make more money than any rapper or band in America at the moment. You know yeah, I know mean? it's it's crazy. You know, people like still talk about Woodstock. You know, and you know the the few hundred thousand people that were there, and like this is going on like monthly here now with these EDM mm-hmm. festivals. You know, with hundreds of thousands of people, and it's like I, I just don't. You know, I, people. You know, they they when whenever they Google me or whatever, you know, they find out about this history and stuff, and you know, they want they ask questions. You try to explain it to them and they still don't get it, you know, like, and that's actually what, you know, so what you were talking about before about just taking it, uh, going the, the Amsterdam route, like with this Tempest party, it was a, a big warehouse that was uh, being renovated into uh, um, condos. And I convinced the guy who owned it that it was, they were short on money and it was sort of not going on for a while. I convinced the guy that we were doing a video shoot, you know, we do background videos for mm-hmm. MTV, you know, bands that yeah. are popular don't have audiences, you know, so we just do this, you know, and there happened to be a haunted house in the first floor of this thing. So I went down, got their temporary use permit, took it to Kinko's, whited out his stuff, put my name in, you know, so all of a sudden we got a, we got a temporary use permit, you know, that the, the cops aren't going to figure out at, at midnight when they come and try to bust it. And, and what we didn't know at this one either was, like I said, the cops that were head on, were surveilling it the whole time and so was uh two news stations in milwaukee who had gotten into you know figuring out this stuff was going so they came in with undercovers they went through the whole process we had a dual map point you know and i mean just listening watching that news footage now it's funny you know we're like this you know square news reporter ladies like i've got the ticket to tempest you know but i still don't have directions you know i gotta go to this hair salon Get the map point right yeah. you know and, and one quick funny story about this party too was uh we had a friend of ours come up from Chicago with a, you know, half a dozen nitrous tanks in his truck, and we didn't want to bring him in through the haunted house, which was the main door, because that seemed too obvious. Yeah. So we used the fire escape, which happened to be under a Vidoc, but on a busy road. So I was like, you know, you just pull up quick. We'll get these on the sidewalk and get them into the, the warehouse fast, you know? Mm-hmm. And while he does that, we're getting the first tank out, and a cop comes rolling up. He's like, what are you guys doing? And then we're just like, oh, shit, you know? And we're just like, oh, we're unloading helium for the haunted house. He's like, okay, hold on. Let me block the road. This looks dangerous. So we're unloading six nitrous tanks into this warehouse. You know, it's got cops on both sides, you know, blocking the road so, like, no cars are going through. And I'm, you know, holding a fake permit in my pocket for a party that they're going to be doing surveillance on later. It's just like, you know, how surreal is this whole experience wow. right now? <laughs> Basically helping you load it in so everybody can get a little buzz on. <laughs> right. So that's what I was going to say is like, so this party, you know, is legal as, you know, just as legal as illegal can be. So then after all that bust and we went underground, did these gathering of the tribe parties, we called them for a while just to keep it going, but low key. So we're like, all right, we're going to work with you, you know, and they said they're going to work with us. So we're going to do this legal, blah, 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 you know. And so that's when we hired Moby to come do this party ascension, you know, we thought, okay, Mm -hmm. we're going to do it in a legitimate venue. It's going to be all night. They're going to help us with this. And then like 
I don't know, two weeks before the party, they pulled the rug out. You know, the news cameras were all there to cover this legal rave and everything. And it turned out, you know, they, it was just going to just be a concert. You know, they weren't going to let us go past 2 o'clock, they said. Mm-hmm. You know, they, they knew that the whole time. They were just kind of, like, stringing us along. But I guess we got the last laugh on this because afterwards we broke into a warehouse and had an after party. And the, the warehouse we broke into, it's kind of funny. I got video footage of it. It's uh turned out to be this guy there's this alderman in milwaukee is michael mcgee and his son is like a black panther kind of guy so the warehouse we broke into was you know just filled with all this black panther graffiti <laughs> killed you know kill whitey and all this stuff and moby's there with spray paint cans spray painting his like little silly guy logo over the kill whitey <laughs> stuff you know? we're just like oh man if this ever gets out like we're gonna be dead uh, well i mean just think about it moby himself you know like sort of kind of nerdy guy with the glass right right vegan all that kind of thing so. yeah him and scotto both came to the after party i don't think he didn't play at the after party, but he was just there, like made his presence, and it, it was just funny, you know. I mean, that's 1993, you know that that's not happening in 2013. Definitely. <laughs> so, yeah, it's kind of funny, like how how that all worked out. And then again, like it's like it seemed like we, we were pretty angry with the way that things worked out in Milwaukee at the time. Like they like they said they wanted to help us and they didn't, and we had really pushed the the limits, you know, of, of doing this illegal stuff. So then we just started partnering up with a lot of people in chicago and that's when the first one we did was in april 93 with uh you know basically every promoter at the time we had this big coming together and did this party called psychosis with uh psychic tv and gosh who was all on that one well i know richie houghton was there and hyperactive and a bunch of chicago people and i mean this that party was crazy too but it was it's just another one of those things we did this it was actually in the whatever that was like the 68 democratic national mm-hmm. convention with all the riots and stuff. We did it in the bottom of that venue, like in the warehouse below that. And this one was a, a learning, it was legal, but it was also on uh daylight savings time, you know? So th- that, that trips everybody up every year. And when it tripped the cops out too, you know? So like they come down there and we're saying our permits went to this time. And we just, it was my first experience with like dealing with, uh, you know, the, Chicago I guess basically you know you're paying off a venue saying like well let's change this contract now and then you're giving the cops money so you can go a couple hours longer and then all of our equipment being locked in at the end of the night because you know some people don't feel they're getting paid or whatever and then having to come back and pay off more people to get the warehouse unlocked it was Mm -hmm. like wow I've gone from a a hustler to a criminal so (laughs) it was like it was weird learning experience right so yeah, that's and I mean, and at that point we started doing a lot of uh, collaboration parties. You know, we did some down in Chicago. We did some with uh, Woody up in Minneapolis. This one, that Hellbent party, was at a Masonic temple up up there off on Lake Street, kind of by the police department. Yeah, I'm not sure if you're familiar with that area. Who was on that lineup? Who was on that lineup? Terry Mullen, Hyperactive, and Woody, and then Kevin Cole from was he from First oh, yeah. Avenue? Mm-hmm. Yeah, and then uh, the Mr. E-Tones and then all of our crew and stuff like that. Excellent. Yeah, so actually this was the first party I lost money at. Most of the parties I made, I did good on everything, but it seems like every time me and Woody work together, I don't. (laughs) Yeah. (laughs) Woody's got really good ideas, but... (laughs) Yeah. But it was was a great party, you know. It was fun, and like I said, it was only a block away from the police department in, in a Masonic temple, you know, so it was like, I don't know... And, and and Woody, just the idea, you know, how he's positive and happy-go-lucky guy doing a party called Hellbent, you know, with a, you know, a, an evil-looking flyer or whatnot. Fun, you know, it's like, how do you talk him into that? I don't know. He just did it. So <laughs> at that point, were you and Woody starting to really get intertwined 
as far as because I know he did a lot of releases for Drop Bass. So yeah, because I guess this was '93. So that we he. He had spun at that first collaboration party we did, the Humanity Party, uh, the year before in Milwaukee. And that's when me and him started talking. And, you know, at that time, he I was playing his records, you know, the stuff that was on, like, uh, Magnetic North and Adam and Eve and uh, uh, Lab Works and stuff, you know. So it was, and he hadn't started his label yet, but Freddie Fresh had just started Analog. And he was kind of just looking for an American outlet for his mm-hmm. thing. But... I don't know what you know if his deal wasn't he didn't have the the money of the time or, or what it was, but he was kind of uh, pushing for us to to start that going down that path or whatever you know. And the guy that I was working with, you know, my partner at the time, Pat, like he was really into the label idea too. I'm not gonna even you know take credit for that. Like it was it was Woody and Pat who were really into it, and then but then once it started going, you know, then I really started getting into like the the way the, the look and feel of everything, you know, and, you know, the, the A&R and like finding mm-hmm. artists and stuff like that. And by then Woody had started his own label and Pat just wasn't interested in it anymore. So, yeah. So then I took it and ran with it. So at that point, um, you said, you know, you lost money on Hellbent and, uh, was the label funding the parties or the parties funding the label? Were they both pretty e- fine off equally independent or uh well you're in music you know labels yeah don't labels really make don't money. make money <laughs> that's why i was like uh was no like, i mean what was funding everything was uh, uh hustling you know so yeah <laughs> and then but then like the parties you know, it's just like you know by that time and in, in, you know, that hellbound party we we're talking about it was already done like 12 parties you know and you're mm-hmm. making a few thousand dollars here and there and the next thing you know you got a decent amount of money, you know, so then it, uh, then you just start getting bigger and bigger parties. And yeah, I don't think like the way, you know, you're talking about running the two together, like label and parties and whatnot. And for me, it was always like, I would do a new year's party, maybe a spring party, but usually not an anniversary party and a further. And then I would chill out. And so like, if you look at the way our labels were scheduled or the releases were scheduled, the releases were always coming when I wasn't doing parties, you know, Mm -hmm. it was like, so I would work hard on a party, take a few months off and then put out records, you know, and I'd always do records like a couple at a time and, and do them that way, you know? Yeah. These parties that you're looking at here were the ones where it was like the one was our, uh, anniversary party, you know, and up to that point, you know, whatever we had done, like I said, a dozen parties, but we had, you know, it was all hardcore DJs, but they weren't all spinning real hardcore. You know, it was a lot of acid hardcore, you know. Mm-hmm. But then I was like, okay, we got away with that. You know, people like that. So the next party we did was was Genesis, which was Lenny D, which, you know, you don't get harder than that in the States, and Deadly Buddha, who's super hard, Hyperactive, who was real hard at the time, and, and Mr. Bill and Effects. They were they were all hardcore DJs, mm-hmm. you know. And then, and then we had Davey Dave outside alone the whole night spinning house, you know, in the, yeah. in the, in the, a pa- little, the cow pasture. Not particularly a uh, chill room, but different, something. To- yeah, yeah, yeah. I think he spun like 14 hours that night. So yeah, that's this is actually good. So right now we're at about ninety three. The label's starting to take off, and just to switch over from the parties for a minute. At this point with the label, you're starting to put out releases. Um, one thing a lot of people don't realize is Drop Bass is responsible for some of the first releases of a lot of people that uh, maybe they're not around today, but some of them are massive. For example, you know you got Adam Bear, uh, Umac, um I know Jesper Dahlbeck did some. I mean, there's so many people that I can't even think about the top of my head. And all the time when I'm on the road, I'll play at a party and then I meet them like, oh, yeah, you're from the Midwest. And they're like, oh, I did a 
record on drop bass. I'm like, really? I didn't even know. Like, oh yeah, that was you know 20 years ago, or you know what I mean? Right. So, it's ironic. Like, I mean, I don't even know. Like, I was telling you earlier. Like, I just was doing some history stuff on the label, you know, and like everybody does sing under pseudo names or whatever. So when I was looking on Discogs to see who the people were that did some of these releases, you know, at the time, you know, Jesper Dahlbeck's just just a guy from mm-hmm. Sweden, you know, and and now he's who he is, you know, yeah. and, and so it's like, and even and that, so that got me thinking, you know, I just went through and looked through. uh my my demo box you know and just seeing who like you were getting stuff from you're like oh man why didn't i release this i'm a fool totally (laughs) but i mean we had it so good in the midwest you know it's like we had all the guys from minneapolis you know woody and slip Mm -hmm. and chris sanger and you know all those guys up there that were just banging out techno all the time you know and then the guys like hyperactive and astrocad and several guys from chicago so it was like it was no shortage of like what we were trying to do you know yeah so and then at, like I said, we started started out just kind of as a a Midwest label, and then it sort of evolved into uh, uh, I don't know what got global s- quickly, right? Got global. Well, it got the first release we sent to you know everywhere, and Front Page Magazine did a review on it from you know in Germany. I don't know if you remember that magazine. Mm-mm. It was sort of like the techno bible at the time, and it's like if we can get our name in here, this is going to be huge, you know. And the guy. Just gave us his glowing review on how awesome this, you know, this clear record that he got by Woody McBride was. And we're nice. just like shit in our pants, you know. <laughs> and it's like when we sent the the test to Watts, you know, they didn't even hesitate on, you know, ordering like several hundred, you know. It was like, oh, my gosh, we just hit the ground running, you know. Mm-hmm. No, that's, that's awesome. I mean, at that point, you got people, you know, who would become legends firing stuff off to your inbox. Uh, the parties are starting to go. Well, our inbox was a mailbox. Well, yeah, I guess that's my uh, generation for you right there. But um, you know, I'm looking through the book here, and there was a lot of a lot of parties you did in '93. Well, and- is it like I at the time I was into it, you know, and like mm-hmm. and the the whole lifestyle was great, and I was just I couldn't stop, you know. So, and I was kind of like trying to separate myself a little bit. Like I felt like I was doing this, you know, and like I had a partner at the time who was like still getting cuts on everything that we did but like i was kind of like running the show i felt so i tried to like i just if you know most of those parties that you just went through there were all like collaborations in either Mm -hmm. minneapolis or uh chicago and it was basically me reaching out to other people just trying to just get me out there you know and then like by the time 94 came around then drop base network just became my thing you know and Mm -hmm. and i felt like that that push i did in 93 was uh what sort of like set me out set me off onto that it's evident. I mean, I'm looking here. See the light tour '93. Here's the lineup. We got Moby, Orbital, Apex Twin, and Vapor Space. And Dub I mean, Tribe, you know. So yeah. yeah, it was it was sick. Like you don't realize it at the time. You know, it's like you know, this one was a tour that got sold to us or whatever. And it was at the the Metro down in Chicago, and it was like David Prince was uh, pretty involved with this one, and you know he was good friends with Scotto from NASA and. Uh, they, you know, they said, we're doing this. You guys want to do this in Chicago? I was like, yeah, you know, now looking back on it, you're like, man, I, I should have appreciated this more. <laughs> this oh, is yeah. insane. You know, and I remember like at this party too, like I go up to Apex Twin with the the first record on Drop Bass. You know, I mean, he's one of my heroes, you know, and I, why I didn't bring an Apex Twin record with me, I don't know. But I brought the first record, you know, Woody's record on clear vinyl, the, the very first one I got. And I was like, I want you to sign this. And he just had this confused look on him. And he's like, why am I signing somebody else's record? I was like, because you're Apex Twin, man. <laughs> <laughs> and he, I still have it. He signed it. It was funny. You know? awesome. But he was like, you don't have one of my records? He's like, I do. But I should have brought Quoth with me. I wasn't thinking. Funny. <laughs> yeah, I mean, like, just, you know, looking at this lineup, 
to put it in today's perspective, you couldn't pull that lineup together in a place like uh, Coachella or Electric Daisy Carnival or whatever big freaking parties are going on right now. I mean, it's just they have the money for it, but all these people don't care. Orbital's making a comeback. Moby's still around. Uh, Richard D. James, he doesn't give a shit about playing. He just, whenever he needs the money, you know. And, uh, I mean, I guess at that point, you know, we're getting towards that. We're getting towards, like, the big obvious things, like, further and stuff. Richard, these are guys that were, I mean, he was already quite a big deal, at least in, in Europe back then, you know. Oh, yeah, totally. It, it, it's, and, it's it's funny, you know, you're talking about this, you know, like, and what the cool thing is, is, like, these guys remember these parties, you know, like oh, yeah. when, when the when the the bootleg for the first further came out of, of uh, Apex Twins set, you know, we sent him a, a message, you know, apologizing that that got out, and you know, he just had fond memories of the whole miserable mm-hmm. experience, you know, <laughs> and it's like how many parties has this guy's played, but he remembers this one in a farm oh, field yeah. in Wisconsin, you know, and and Moby totally remembers going to that that warehouse after hours and like doing that graffiti, you know, him and Dave are still friends, you know, and they talk about it, you know, and it's just funny, you know, like just to think like how much mm-hmm. these guys have done since then but like for some reason this stuff made an impact on them then you know i mean some of some of these guys that are more in my realm because i'm doing techno i've i've talked to them quite a bit being on the road playing shows with them becoming friends with them and let me tell you they all have stories about drop bass like i know you have stories for every party here but these guys they pretty much remember them because it's pretty hilarious some are funny some are they're like I'm never going back to Wisconsin again. Um, but for the most part, uh, they all remember these parties. And how can you not? Because you're out in the middle of nowhere at a farm. You got, I don't know. At this point, how big are these parties? Like 1,000 people? I mean, yeah, up and I mean, down? I would say between 1,000 and 2,000, okay. most of them are. And then like we get to our first New Year's party, which we called Massive, which predated the the Massive magazine that came out for, you know here in the midwest and mm-hmm. this is where they just this is when the party started getting big then you know because it's like milwaukee the only night you could do something legally all night was new year's eve so yeah. that was like okay we're just gonna spend money pull out all the stops and like and do this as cool as we can you know and i guess for me like i'm, I'm a business person so like every time i would do a party it would have to make sense from a business point of view mm-hmm. but what it really had to make sense was it just had to look fucking cool you know like yeah and it course. just had to blow people away you know like people whether you're high or not had to leave that party kind of just with a little what the hell just happened you know kind of vibe exactly <laughs> like uh you know a lot of people sell this experience like oh i'm going to this club and we got this lead show or um go-go dancers whatever the hell and they they think they're gonna walk away and take away something from that but they don't no and then you have these experiences where people do have that whether it's burning man or burkhein or whatever these big clubs are at the moment or festivals the ones that resonate with people it's because they actually care how it looks how it sounds like it's just the same reason why some tv shows are considered like legendary because the tone is consistent throughout like there's a vision and not just let's throw some sound and lights in and hope people show up you know? Yeah, I mean, and that's sort of kind of what ended up being my downfall in the whole thing is like, I was desensitized to so much of that stuff that like, in order to stimulate me, we just had to kept doing more and more. And it was like, I'd spend, you know, four, six months planning parties, you know, that weren't making a lot of money, you know, in 2001 and two and stuff. But it's like, just trying to like, you know, intertwine this theme and this concept and the decorations and the DJs and just make it all really cool. But I, I it was going over everybody's heads and, and wearing me out. So, mm-hmm. so yeah, just... that, that, what you were talking about, though, was interesting because that's sort of like kind of what set me up for, I think what set us apart 
is because I went to things like Burning Man and Rainbow Gathering and mm-hmm. and like these other things that were a visual experience, you know. And I used to travel like crazy, you know. I'd go to, you know, it was nothing for us to drive to San Diego to go to a party, a party just see Narnia and like you mentioned Storm yeah. Ray before, you know, that's twenty some hours from Milwaukee, you know, and you're just driving overnight to go to a party there or Florida or wherever, you know, mm-hmm. the coolest parties are. Just seeing like what people are doing that sets them apart from the rest and then bringing that. I mean, I'm not going to claim that anything I did was original. It's all oh, yeah. stolen from somebody. Well, I mean, that's that's a great segue because there's so much stuff that we could talk about here and maybe another time we can just shoot the shit about random stories. But let's, let's get into, uh, you said you went to Burning Man and that obviously left a big effect because then we come up to 94 and you got further, which is kind of the flagship party in my opinion next to- Oh, for sure. Next to New Year's. Yeah, well, this I hadn't even gone to Burning Man yet at that point. I didn't have, oh, I, I thought think, you had. No, the first time I had gone to Burning Man, I think it was in 96. Yeah. So this actually was all just from reading the electric Kool-Aid acid test, you know. Okay. And, and, and you know, we thought we were badass because, you know, we're doing acid, you know, a few days a week, you know, partying hard and, like, having these crazy experiences on the weekend. I read this book and be like, and I was like, oh, my God, these people are doing this every day. And they're like, you know, it's like, mm-hmm. we can do this. You know, I still remember the, the conversation this day, you know, and it was like me and Dave Prince were in a in a restaurant in Milwaukee. And I just said, you know, telling him about reading the book. And I was like, it just all came to me like, I want to do something called further, you know, and it's mm-hmm. like, it's all going to be, it's going to just, what we're doing now, it's going to be that, you know, times 10. We, what, mm-hmm. What's it going to take to make this? you know, even bigger, you know, and, and, or just more intense, you know, and he was just like, you know, well, multi days, you know, and it's like, Oh, that sounds crazy. And then Woody got involved and, you know, Woody's the craziest of all of us, you know, and, <laughs> and he's doesn't ever hold back, you know, so yeah. he's like three days, here's who we're getting, you know, <laughs> I was like, Whoa, buddy, let's it do it. <laughs> I mean, the first one, you got your headliner, Apex twin, you know, you got a uh, hard kiss experience, lot, lots of great names on here, but you know, obviously Apex Twin started off that party, and this eventually became most most years. It was one year, but there was also a couple years where you had uh, even further and then little further, which was like a smaller version of it. Yeah, I did that one year just because of a, a, it was a, only a venue. One. Yeah, venue situation. Well, uh, one year I did a little further when we didn't do a further, and then another year I did a little further when we were in the process of uh, not securing a permit. Yeah, and this one, the, the reason that this first one, when you were looking at this here, is the way it it worked was you know like. It wasn't just like Richard James came by himself. He came with uh, uh, who was on his label? Was it Cosmic Commando? You know who's and and uh, Grant who helped run the label with him okay. and his girlfriend. So it's like we you know said hey this you is just for you to come like and just DJ for us. Like you guys are coming to party. You know same thing with you know Hoshi and those guys from LabWorks. It was Hoshi and Roland Casper and, and Spectral Motions and you know they all came together and then the Hard Kiss guys all came together with you know they were really tight with guys from St. Louis. You know the Hahos and the Terry Mullen. And, you know, and then brought, there was just like groups of people we got together. We were trying to sell it like as a, just, you know, as a party, not just mm-hmm. like they're going to come and DJ, you know, it's like your crew's going to come and, you know, we're all on this bus together, you mm-hmm. know? <laughs> so, yeah, you basically, you got further going on. Um, regular guests that it would end up like Richie Hotton was kind of not necessarily a resident, but like a regular for years. Like his yeah, sets were really three big. Of them, yeah. yeah. Um, yeah, I mean, there's just so many great names on these parties. Incidentally, we lost money on this one, too, but... Oh, did you? <laughs> it wasn't much. So, I mean, I guess that was another question I had, because at this point, the rave thing was really starting to kick off around here at first. Um, everybody thinks now that this electronic dance music 
things in an explosion that it's never happened. But I mean, it was obviously not at this scale, but it was blowing up 20 years ago. And, um, you know, I've heard so many stories, some are bullshit, some are true, you know, like things that promoters would do to kind of screw over other promoters, whether it's like, uh, you know, hacking their voicemail and then like changing the directions to another party or calling the cops on each other. I mean, at this point when you're putting these parties together and putting the money on the line, is it still pretty just much business as usual or you got to watch your back a lot or i never had to watch my back so much and i I think it's part of just being the hardcore promoter and then putting these flyers out with devil on them and stuff you know people just don't want to fuck with that you know yeah kind of thing and like and like i said before it's like my attitude was never like to be confrontational with people like i never wanted to be like the big fish in a small pond. I want to be the big fish in a big pond, you know? So I encourage everybody to like, you know, I never like stop, try to stop people from throwing parties or like discourage it or, or or thought of them as, as competitors or competition or what and whatnot, you know? So it was like, I would encourage people, give them advice, you know, and like let them do their thing. And I think they, they just got, you know, there was respect out of that, you know? And that, so like we never had those sort of issues. And like I said before, like there was times when there was some competition. It was like, you know, well, let's just partner up. You know, why, mm-hmm. why, why are we going to do three separate parties where we're each going to do a thousand people? When we can all get together and do five thousand people. You know, well, people these days are too stupid to do that. Sadly, but uh, <laughs> well, yeah. it's just like I mean, you get, uh, take enough LSD, your ego will go away. Yeah, I mean, at, at that point, you're also telling, you know, you're talking very open about taking acid, devils on the flyers and stuff. Uh, you basically uh, identify as a Satanist, right? Tongue in cheek, tongue in cheek, uh, marketing okay. Satanist. You know, I'm like an like, Anton Lavey okay. Satanist. <laughs> I was just to say like Levain or something like yeah. that. Um, you know, because there's so many stories that people would hear over the years about like shit that did or didn't happen, sacrifices and stuff. And, you know, oh, it all happened for sure. <laughs> yeah, it all happened. <laughs> but um, you know, I mean, I remember hearing so many stories about you know because at these parties it was really out of hand. Like uh, something about like somebody stole a goat and brought it to one of the furthers or something and just was parading it around and left it there for you to deal with well there was definitely a goat at one of them but it wasn't it was bought at a at a cattle auction and they took it back on monday and it, oh, the okay. price of so goats was, the price of goats was up so they made five dollars or whatever <laughs> there you go you know and they, and they roasted a pig so like everyone mm-hmm. thought they roasted the goat you know but they didn't the goat was just a, a pro and that's what was cool about our parties you know you're talking about like the burning man thing before and stuff it's like I like these uh, the furthers and stuff. Especially, we promoted like the idea of like letting your freak flag fly, you know, and mm-hmm. just uh, people to have like theme camps, you know. And, yeah. and like, I think you know a lot of these people want to create. They just they just don't want to throw a party, you know. So it's like I'm going to all the trouble of throwing this party, and they're gonna and I'm gonna let them come in and just do their thing, you know. And so all these people would just take it to the next level, you know. I mean, the the, the biggest ones were like the Attic Posse from Milwaukee, who you know Dormouse oh, and those guys, God. like yeah. like the the shit that they would do is just beyond legendary oh yeah I <laughs> you know, mean, and, just like, like, and you know richie hot and like you know getting done djing on the main stage and going straight to the the attic stage and like you know which was in a burned out pit you know and nakedness and drunkenness and then grabbing a black sabbath record and putting it on you know it's yeah, like come on that's not happening in berlin oh no not at all <laughs> you know that's the thing like uh a lot of these parties they claim to be so like hedonistic and very crazy and honestly, I mean, what I saw at the further parties, not only did it kind of change my whole perspective on anything, but the only parties I've ever came close to that captured that vibe was like the first time that I went out to Burkhine because, 
you know, I looked around for it. And by the point, by the time I first went there, I think I was going there since the beginning, around 04, 05. I was really starting to lose uh, my interest in everything. Right, That's right. when the minimal thing was kicking up. And once I got there, that was the only place where I was like, I haven't seen this since the further parties. That's you crazy know? you say that because that's why when Hyperactive was out here at the farm playing last summer, like, you know, you read so much about that place and I was just like, tell me about it. And he's just like, you know, the best thing I could say is just, you know, the parties that we did here in the Midwest, you know, in 92, 93 is, I mean, that's what it is. You know, it's just that oh, hedonistic yeah. vibe and it's like, you know, there's no judging and there's everyone's just there for good music and having a great time. And yeah, he was totally into it. Yeah. Someday when Bergheim is closed, there's going to be some incredible stories to tell until then that book's staying closed but um it was funny when you're, when you're flipping through these pages here that steve who you came up here with was just posted this one on facebook recently you know it was like digging through the vault of our flyers or whatever and comes across our two-year anniversary party which is in uh june 94 you know with luke slater on the on the flyer i you know, saw that <laughs> luke slater and it's like he's, he's like wait you guys guy. had him in 94 like who mm -hmm. knew and i was telling steve too like the, the funny party that story about this party was we we had used this venue for a party a year before and this party had it was when the cops were really like sick of us you know so like the cops in milwaukee which was like you know 45 minutes from where the party was were pressuring the sheriff's department out there to do something about this you know so they came out there and were trying to figure out how to shut it down and and whatnot and i was not cooperating with them so then they ended up finding like the uh the electrical box, you know, and turn the power off. But then what that did was left them in a barn with 2000 kids, you know, in, in no lights, which didn't sit well yeah. with them, you know, and Luke Slater was spinning at the time. So then they wait, you know, 10, 15 minutes, whatever, turn the lights back on. And then Luke Slater starts spinning again. You know, here's this guy from the UK, you know, that, you know, it's just, it's funny. Like it went, it went back and forth like that three or four times, you know, and then finally they're like, all right, enough, stop <laughs> doing this. <laughs> totally. So even he's an underground hero, you know? Yeah. I mean, like I said, these lineups are just chock full of people who are legendary in their own right. And I mean, there's, you know, pages later we're still in, only in like 94 95 <laughs> like we could easily do 10 hours of, of yeah, talks yeah. here you know by that point like i said uh daft punk came up in 96 at further after that you had uh richie quite a few times and his sets were pretty legendary for midwest like he opened with uh what is it welcome to the machine at one of them ironically that can i tell you a story on that tell it <laughs> <laughs> i always i you know i i've dj'd a lot but i only show up to about half of the parties that I was on the flyers for. And I'd always put myself on my own parties and I was at a little far further and I had myself on that party, but I usually never DJ at my own parties cause it just never worked out. Mm -hmm. But I was like, I'm DJing at this one. So I went on right before Richie, but I was like, I'm only playing one record. And Woody at the time was, you know, he did stairway to headphones and was playing mm -hmm. a lot of classic rock songs. You know, they sound really cool loud yeah. in a dark room. So I was like, I really want to hear welcome to the machine loud. So I played that and you know, Rich was, you know, that's a long song. He's just like, how long does this go on? You know, it's, it's going to the end, buddy. Leave it go. This is my set. <laughs> so he, yeah, he played it all through, you know, and it was, it was funny. Like people still talk about that. Like how Richie opened with uh, welcome to the machine a, a little and further. And that was my DJ set. That's <laughs> was hilarious. Like, was my, my moment. I blew it. Well, Richie lost some cool points then, I guess. Yeah. Right. Uh, yeah. This, this one you're looking at here was the, the fuck tour. You did that spastic party up in uh, Detroit, which is, pretty legendary or whatever and uh then he decided he wanted to take it out on tour and it was like the perfect name for that tour because every one of these shows was fucked so <laughs> it was a problem at all of them you hang on <laughs> all good um yeah so anyway uh you know we're still in the mid 90s at this point things are really getting out of hand 
Um, I guess, you know, we can talk about all the people out here. Like the general vibe you said you gave them uh, the ability to kind of do whatever they want, which means some people were getting really out of hand. I think everybody that's been in these stories has a – or in, that's been in these parties has stories about uh, getting lost or – going to jail or something like that but um you know i've, I've heard things like where people get out of hand and you got to duct tape them to the tree and stuff like that because you can't have the cops coming out then the party's yeah. over and yeah that was sort of our uh our, our our mo is just we dealt with things our own way you know mm-hmm. and a lot of there was a lot of freakouts that were being duct taped to trees couches and and different things like that and even myself like look this one we're looking at further 95 it was a you were talking about someone before that didn't show up i don't remember but no, a user, but that was... Oh, that was, that was a different further. On, yeah, yeah, yeah. There was a lot of people that didn't show up at this further, too. Oh, yeah. <laughs> so, like, Spiral Tribe, they got turned away, you know, and I think that Interference or, you know, uh, Beverly Hills 803 mm-hmm. IF or whatever whatever people call them over in Europe, I'm not sure. Um, he also, we missed, you know, this was before cell phones and all that. It's just like a guy coming over to the United States for the first time. It's like, we'll pick you up in Chicago around 4 o'clock, you know I mean? It's a, it's a sketchy plan, and it, it, it didn't work on this one because he was caught at customs in New York, and, you know, how how are we going to know that? You know, mm-hmm. we're four hours away. And, and this is kind of before cell phones were really Yeah, we, I didn't even have a cell phone. And, yeah. and this was like 90, 94 or 5, you know, so it's like we go down to pick him up. He's not there, and, and just come back, you know, and talk, that, to, talk to him afterwards. But At he, that point, are you just like, fuck it, this isn't happening, and then you just move on? Or? Yeah, then we just got to, you know, we just left or whatever, and I contacted him afterwards. It's like, dude, what happened? You know, and he was like, oh, I missed my flight, blah, blah. And it's like, but it was awesome. I got to go to Gramophone and Imports, et cetera, and like <laughs> all these places and see where Acid House was born. You know, I went to Trax, you know, and he went to all this stuff in Chicago. We had a little tour. He was super happy. And yeah, as long as it, he it got paid and he him. got to see Chicago, so. Yes, I mean, at this point, it's just... The flyers, I can see. Okay, so the, the skull that became a new logo. You said that's another story. You want to go into that, or? Well, I guess I didn't realize it was used there. Oh, I guess it, maybe was, it's it been, yeah, I, We must have passed one in here. Right I did. In this I, I was doing a party in. Uh, we did a party in Chicago called D Day. Oh, here it is. This was uh, October '94, and this was the first time the skull came out. It was on on that flyer, and our our, our guy Cody, who struggle Inc. He just, you know, used it as a because it was a skull, you know, mm-hmm. and basically he it's a piece of clip art that he just barely modified, you know, just because it was a rush job to get a flyer done. Mm-hmm. And I was it was one of my collaborations with this group called ATP out of Chicago, and this isn't he had a logo that was kind of a rip off of ours at the time. It wasn't the one that he put on the flyer. And me and Roy didn't necessarily see eye to eye on a lot of things. And all of a sudden, like you know, a couple weeks before the party, he was like. Uh, Hey, I'm, I got this. I, I'm making these shirts with the the skull from that flyer on it, and it's, you know the front of the shirt's gonna be like DBN and ATP for life. You know, it's mm-hmm. like some big like we're together, blah blah blah. You know, I'm just like, oh hell no. You know, <laughs> like, you can't use that logo actually. And he's like, why not? And I was like, because Cody, that's the label, the record lo- the label for our record or logo for our record label or whatever. You know, so I was basically just trying to prevent yeah, him from using it on his shirt on to it. that I that I didn't want to get produced. You know, and then uh, but then it was like after I saw it, you know, I was like, oh, this logo is cool. You know, <laughs> totally. And, but unfortunately, like I said, it's a barely modified piece of clip art. So, you know, it's showed up in mm-hmm. pop culture on all kinds of things. You know, and everyone thinks, hey, someone ripped off. I've never like trademarked or copyrighted anything. You know, not the mm-hmm. name, not the logos, not anything. You know, so. That logo shows up a lot, which is kind of frustrating, but... 
Yeah. Well, these days everybody's stealing stuff. And I know. And there's people like there was a guy in, in, in Milwaukee, of all places, even, who started a record label called Drop Bass Records. And I was like, what? Are you are you high? Like, do you uh, not know the history? <laughs> like, you know, but luckily, you know, one thing that we hadn't touched on is like we had this this group of our, the people that work for me, we always call them our support squad. And they're the, like all, all these parties that were going on were um, – you talk about the chaos and like just the out of controlness of it. And it was just sort of like on the edge of that, you know, it's like we had, we had our crew going around, they were letting it, we were letting it go to the point where it didn't cross the line, you know? And so those guys, like when all these other things come up where these people are using the logos and the name and stuff, it's just like they're, they cyber attack, you know, and next thing you know, they're, they're people are changing the name of their record label and what. Mm-hmm. <laughs> so I guess they're my copyright team. There you go. Um, yeah, I mean, just looking at the flyers by this point, we're into the 90s, mid-90s, getting towards the tail end of the 90s. And I can just tell by looking at the flyers, at this point, everybody in America is doing these like 3D video game looking flyers or Care Bears and shit. And these are all... It's punk rock. You got silk screen. This flyer's got Kiss on it, for example. You know what I mean? Like by this point, it's safe to say that like drop bass really has found its like its uh, niche, not just in party vibe, but just the overall the look aesthetic. and feel. Yeah, yeah, yeah. I mean, it was weird. Like I had a DJ. I mean, these are punk rock flyers, essentially. Yeah, yeah. You know I, mean, I, mean? I mean, and, and well, luckily we had a really cool designer who he's uh, now he's an artist. You know, he's pretty well known. I mean, but he he did tons of stuff for Burton, you know, snowboard designs, you know, and he, mm-hmm. he did a lot of stuff you know, he went on to way bigger and better things from what we, he started for us. But it's like in that, in 94, I guess, or like, no, it was 95. I, I went over, me and Delta nine went over to Europe and DJed in Austria. And, uh, it was sort of, that was one of those pivotal moments for me because it was like one, I, the, the spiral tribe were camped out in the alley behind the place we were playing. So I met those guys mm-hmm. and their whole punk rock aesthetic, you know, and, and what they were doing. And then also the guy, Peter Vitava, who was Ilsa Gold, he, uh, the guy we were playing for, you know, I, I had been really big on like, uh, uh, German history and, and war and stuff like that. So like the whole Third Reich aesthetic, you know, of just like everything was just big and grand. And at that time, Marilyn Manson was doing a lot of that stuff too, you know? Mm-hmm. And it, it, it didn't really occur to me that like I was doing the same thing, you know, the, the red, white, and black oh, and yeah. everything, you know? And then when Peter was looking at some of our flyers, he's like, you know, why are you so fascist? You know, I'm like, what are you talking about? And he's like, Ever, you're using the fascist colors, you know, like why? And I'm just like, oh man, I didn't even realize it. And he's like, well, don't stop. This is powerful. You know, oh, yeah, like I was just people don't even thing. realize that, you know, they're drawn to this, you know? And I was just like, you know, and it was like, so from then on, it was like, I, I had two sort of set, like everything was either red, white, and black or the further colors, which was the, the orange and blue, orange. you know? Yeah. So that was sort of like the aesthetic that we sort of stuck to from, from that point forward, basically. Yeah, I mean, it's, you know, to this day, there's still nobody in the Midwest is even coming close to copying the style, or at least I haven't seen it. Not that I'm, I haven't lived here in five years, but. Yeah, Woody has sort of done a lot of it, but only because we were using the same designer, you know, sure. so you're kind of. Oh, yeah, happens. that's true, but he was also doing parties with, like, Jack Trash and stuff, and, like, yeah. while it was the same designer, it was still definitely different. Like, yeah. sure, it had the silkscreen uh, line art look to it, but, you know, at that point, they were doing. Um, it had a little more commercial Josh feel Wink to it for stuff. sure. Yeah. yeah, they were doing it more in uh, arena, not arenas, but uh, you know where they would do hockey or something. Yeah, yeah, like, yeah, that. like the Roy Wilkes Center up there and stuff. Yeah, it's funny because like the way these flyers are, it was like the this album, which goes through '96, is in a in, 
unintentionally, but it just the way it turned out was it's in a black album, you know? So this is like the hardcore years when we separated our, this is when we were the dark. And then after that, it was just us just doing like big parties all the time, you know? So that's, yeah. that one's in a white album. <laughs> yeah. I mean, um, really great. Like if you're, if you're listening to this now, definitely go online and just check out the flyers. It's a really cool aesthetic to it. And it's something I've always been into, you know, some, some of the techno labels, like, uh, for example, Downwards to Extent and um, what's the other one? Sandwell District. These guys also had sort of a punk rock aesthetic to it. And it was really, it reminded me of that a lot. And that's yeah. why I guess, I mean, I was drawn to the music anyway, but you could kind of tell in a way it's almost cut from the same cloth that uh, it's rockers getting into it. It's not just uh, people trying to imitate something else and and whatnot yeah very few of our flyers were uh 3d images on them so <laughs> yeah i mean the, the earlier ones but that was the thing yeah, back yeah in the that's, early what, 90s that, that's and, what you did then yeah but um okay so let's go a little bit further and this is almost you know we're skipping over so much history but we'll just have to come back another time um like so later 90s um like i said i i can't remember which further was the first one i went to maybe 99 or 2000 because I was still going to the other parties before that. And um, at that point for me, I was pretty young. I don't, I think I was, I was really young, like 14 or 15. And it we'll was, let you in. Yeah, I got in and uh, it was pretty intense. And uh, I remember one, one time in particular, that was actually, I got some stories about that because I was talking to these guys. That was the year with the, uh, with the Soma tour and Mark E.G. and uh, oh, okay. Tech Itch and all that. And there was a storm coming through. And uh, did a tornado ever actually come through during that one? Or they were talking about it? it was close, for sure. I don't know. All I know is... Unfortunately, while that was going on, I don't know if you've ever saw the video on YouTube of the guy duct taped to the tree talking in tongues. Oh, yeah. That's what I was dealing with. (laughs) I I thought it was hilarious. I posted on my Facebook line, and they're all like, uh, on the timeline, they're like, what is this shit? But anyway, (laughs) um, I mean, that party was kind of wild. Was that also the same one where the guy ended up uh, lighting the Burning Man guy on fire on acid, and then he jumped in, and then had to jump into a pond or something like he almost died? Or I could go with the legend on this one, but no, it was uh, you're you're combining a few different further experiences. Okay, <laughs> it was a blur. It was definitely that one was a, the the big storm went through, and then uh, but earlier in that night was when uh, we were always doing that Burning Man ceremony kind of just like I said, because we like mm-hmm. doing cool shit at our parties. So, but that year we didn't do a burning man, but unfortunately everybody brought shit to burn, you know, <laughs> and it's what started out as a small bonfire turned into like a rager with couches, you know, and like all these people that had uh wood props, you know, and just yeah. throwing stuff on and, and some guy deciding, you know, Hey, I want to jump over the fire on all these drugs I'm on, but getting caught on a couch, you know, where, but wearing like a, uh, track suit yeah. you know, and melting you know to the couch or whatever but he you know and there's a lot of rumors about him but he's one of my facebook friends now so he's alive and, and has a family and Happy does not story. want to talk about it now okay so his <laughs> name will be left off the record i mean um that party was kind of interesting for me because not only was it my first further but there's so many stories involved uh i guess the thing for me that was like kind of nuts is somehow that night uh, I ended up on a lot of mushrooms, and that's when the storm, right when the storm was coming through is when it really hit hard. It's the best and, time. Yeah, and I was I was <laughs> backstage, and um, like the, it was storming so hard that the water was coming through 
the whole of the tent where they had the poles and it was pouring on in the equipment while Marky G was playing and he was just destroying the place that it, night. He doesn't slow down. No, I mean, he was like breaking turntables over his head and he was Records. bleeding and shit. Yeah. Uh, meanwhile, like all this rain is coming in from the back because it didn't have the side on there and it was just hitting the amp racks and there was, there was mud everywhere. And naturally, I'm freaking out. So I'm like telling this guy, like, you know, we're all going to die and everything. And oh, that was you. Was that you I was talking to? <laughs> no, no, no. I, was, oh. uh, the sound, I, I do remember. But like, I was talking to somebody, and he's the, just looking at me like, oh, shut up. You're on drugs. And then he, he looks at me, and he looks around, and he's like, actually, you're right. I got to do something about this, or there's going to be some <laughs> electrocution going on here. And it was all squared away. But, right. uh, yeah. And then the party went on, and uh, – also, at that night, like, Richard Turner, he was, or supposedly it was Richard Turner. Who knows what the utility plastics and user guys. I mean, yeah, he, he didn't, that's who you were talking about before. Yeah, he didn't make it. His, I think his brother was, was actually killed in a drive-by, like, the week prior to that. So he was from compl- user or Richard Turner? Richard, oh. Which, well, cause they're, they're different. Yeah, Richard Turner was there, user was yeah. not. Yeah, user, yeah, yeah, but yeah, see, the right. thing with the user is that it was actually, like, multiple different DJs or, like, well-known producers that wanted to release stuff anonymously because there's a lot of samples like liaisons dangerous and stuff and really some of them have been vocal about it like some are supposed like surgeon regis ben sims function who's now um you know with berghain he was one of the only guys that was like yeah i did a couple um so that's why i was like because at that time there was what six or seven tracks on richie's new mix cd and so user was a big deal yeah, I think that. And I mean, that's where we I got was, turned I on. I was to like it. wondering who was going to show up because nobody really knew what this guy was, and then he. Now didn't you got show. me intrigued. I want to go look yeah, back at this, see like, who I booked the flight yeah, for. Yeah, I want to I know who's, who's <laughs> who was coming. But um, and then but Richard Turner was there, and that guy he was playing I think just before Mark E. G. and he looked scared shitless. I remember because he's kind of like the storm's going on these kids are all losing their minds right he just didn't seem super comfortable <laughs> um and then after that you had marky g tech itch who was also incredible ufo was really the star that night he played an incredible drum yeah he set. dropped some serious um stuff. then there was slam and funk to void uh the night before we had percy x oddly enough i've went on to a lot of those guys are on my roster oh and wow. uh so you know i actually just talked to slam about it in march and like them and uh, Percy X, who's now by going by Edit Select, they all have stories. Like they were staying in some hotel in the room next to him. There was some crazy stripper drugs madness thing going on. And um, yeah, that was one of my deals. Is that was hospitality, like outside of the party, was not my expertise. Yeah. It was like <laughs> you're staying in the cheapest hotel you I could find, you know, or the closest, you know. Mm-hmm. And that hotel has been since been torn down because it was notorious for shadiness. That you mm-hmm. know, in that. <laughs> <laughs> I'm, I'm going to get those guys on, on the podcast, and I'll, I'll get there. end of it. I just remember laughing my ass off at dinner because they were kind of, again, a little scared shitless, like we're out in the middle of nowhere in Wisconsin. We right. don't even know what Wisconsin is. <laughs> and, uh, you know, just doing these parties. And, uh, I mean, it, it was madness. And th- th- that that's the thing. They never forgot it either. Just, yeah. They remember Mark going crazy, breaking stuff, and the storm coming through, and they're like, I, don't, I shouldn't be here. They just said that they remember sort of like sitting in the back of a – like a U-Haul, like, uh, you know, when are we getting paid? Where the right. hell is oh, everything? Yeah, yeah. You know, all that stuff. And Yeah, I was mad at U-Haul, so I was a rider, actually. Okay, same <laughs> thing, just different. But uh, As well, it's crazy. I mean, I love hearing these stories, like, uh, you know, just people's experiences. At, at, you know, that's why Facebook is so cool because, like, you know, someone will post a flyer, and then there's always something that – you hear about that you didn't know happened, you know? And oh, yeah. <laughs> it was like, this is awesome, you know? If you could just combine all these stories, you know, it's crazy. Like, I don't even – all these people that you're mentioning that played at that party, 
I don't even remember half of them. Yeah, like, of course. You know, so it's, that's what sucks about doing parties is you don't get to experience any of them, mm-hmm. you know? So. Well, I mean, I I did the same thing doing so many parties with Steve. Um, I didn't get to see any of these guys play. Yeah. You know what I mean? You're so busy running around, and these are guys that are were my idols or whatever. I know, and I mean, that's the thing. Like, all these people that I'm booking, I didn't book these people because they were going to draw. Like, I booked them because I liked them, you know? Mm-hmm. And like, you know, the majority of people that played my parties were that reason, because I either bought their records or I respected them or, I, you know, I was into them and whatnot. And then you never, you don't get to see them, you know, mm-hmm. you just get to hear about them from my mom and dad, how they were from the airport to the party. And then hear about them from my support squad about like who did which drugs like backstage, you know, mm-hmm. and then that's it. Yeah. <laughs> it's done. I mean, it's, and then that's, a, that's kind of half the reason that I'm also doing this podcast now too, is because there's so many stories, not just, you know, with uh, drop base and further, but just DJs on the road, rerunning to people. And you're like, I never knew that. And it was at the same party or yeah. things that I forgot about, or, you know what I mean? And, uh, it's just, you know, for me, the, the whole, the drop base era for me was kind of still to this day, like I'm not really into the, the clean cut festival stuff. I mean, of course I do it because it's, it's nice both for, uh, for all reasons, you know, pay but, the bills. Oh, it definitely does. But I mean, <laughs> um, you know, I kind of miss the the punk rock attitude where, like, well, we might go to jail tonight. You know right. what I mean? And uh, that was definitely prominent. Like you, you were talking about Richie showing up at the uh, massive stage, which ended up becoming the attic stage. Um, back then, there was like, you know, you had like Dan Dormos throwing meat. I think at one of them, like raw meat. <laughs> yeah, I mean, those um, guys. I could. I, we could do two podcasts yeah. of massive oh, yeah. stories. But I you mean, know. like even Dan, just you're talking about Richie just showing up there. Like I remember at the at the last further, Neil Landstrom was playing. You know, one of my all time favorites. Mm-hmm. You know, respect the guy and. He's up there DJing, and, and Dormouse is standing in front of him with a cowboy hat and diapers on a megaphone, you know, drinking whiskey out of his mind, mm-hmm. you know, just screaming insult after insult at him, putting the whiskey bottle up on the records, you know, while he's DJing. And I'm thinking, like, this is, I, you know, I, I can't, I don't know why I didn't even do anything about it, but I was just like, you know, Neil seemed to be handling it. And then I wanted to apologize him afterward, but instead he's over in the attic, like, at their theme camp like drinking with them like that was awesome yeah. <laughs> i was like he was not mad at all and he was into it it was like i don't know just mm-hmm. go with the flow yeah i mean i just remember you know that night walking over to that tent and the, at that point they erected like a boxing ring or something <laughs> so they had you know they had one guy uh, i don't know if it was what was it Ascore 5000 or one of those names anyway like beat juggling britney spears records and diapers and then there's like dudes trying to box and wrestle right. and i'm just like i this is insane. This is awesome, but I got to get out of here. This is so twisted. You know what I mean? Well, right. Like, yeah. they, 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 the, on the one hand, they were all supremely talented, mm-hmm. but on the other hand, they were all fucked up. You know, like yeah. they had a lot of shit to work Idiot out in their bonds. head, and they didn't have money for <laughs> therapy, so they were doing it right in front of us. Yeah. I'm, well, these today's these days, that's considered art performance. You know what I mean? Back then, it was just partying. I, I remember, like, one of you know, speaking of them at uh, the further, it was one of the furthers that wasn't even that good really, but it was in 2000 and it was a legal venue of fairgrounds and the. Over thing, at NCN? No, it was in uh Kankakee, Illinois. And it was a punk Floyd. Oh, the was punk a, Floyd, yeah, the one yeah. that got rained out or something, right? Well, it got rained on and there was a, a lot of different things happened in that mm-hmm. one, but you're talking about addict or whatever. And they had a stage and against my better judgment, I, let them set up in the in the center of everything you know so you're going from the campground to the main stage you're going to go by the attic stage and i was at the time was when they were really doing their meat thing which was a uh, you know guitar drums and and sampling and 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 figuring out 
mental issues all at the same time you know so mm-hmm. like you guys are up there in, in dresses and naked and throwing 55 gallon drums in the air and smashing them in their yeah. head they're bleeding from their skulls and <laughs> you know and, and peeing in cups you know and drinking and sticking like you know meat oh, up yeah. each other's ass and i was just like you know i you know i'm even in shock you know you're yeah. like what the hell is going on you know but it was kind of like not at like a time when it was a huge crowd of people there you know mm-hmm. there was two or three hundred people standing around watching this and but then all of a sudden i see the fair board walk up with like the sheriff's department because the fireworks were supposed to go on soon <laughs> and they're on their way to the fireworks and i was like oh yeah they can't see this you know so it's like me on the walkie-talkie like to the fire fireworks people you're like the show starts at 10 not 10 30 they're like no no we gotta start at 10 30 that's what time the permit says i was like no this party ain't going on until 10 30 <laughs> if the show doesn't start now you know oh, man. so it's like while meat's doing this like the fireworks start going off you know and it distracted like all those all those people you know so they just kept going you know and in the meantime meat thinks you know the fireworks are for them so they turn it up a notch you know and it was just like yeah, that one I ended up actually Dormos ended up getting kicked out of that one. I was like, you got to go home. Oh yeah, <laughs> <laughs> I caught him like peeing on Richard Devine's equipment, and I was like, okay, you, you've crossed the line, dude. <laughs> dude. You know, it's like you're done. You just got to leave. So it's over. <laughs> you know, sometimes, sometimes you got to go home before you want to. You know, but yeah, I mean, like those those were the kind of things that really uh, kind of warped me, and you know, those were also the first parties where I met uh, a lot of the Minneapolis guys and. That's, you know, how I ended up there. Like Steve, for example, yeah. Devious One. I just show up at like 7 in the morning and they're playing like Adam Bear, Marco Corolla records, all this stuff that I was into at the time. And, uh, you know, that's kind of where we clicked. And now um, 15 years later, you know, Steve's out in, outside playing with his kid and right. Zach has come on to, you know, be a big time DJ. And it's, well, it's that crazy. was one of my, you know, I don't have any regrets from doing all this stuff, but it's like when you guys all came up like there in the late 90s and stuff, I was still like, not in a, I don't want to say it was a formula, but I was still doing what I wanted to do, you know? Mm-hmm. And instead of like paying attention to where things were going. Mm-hmm. And so it's like running into you and uh, like Kyle Geiger and, and mm-hmm. Zach and like all these guys that, fuck, if I would have gone on the ground level with you guys, I'd still be doing this. <laughs> Perhaps, but there's always, there's, I mean, everybody's coming back right now, you know? Yeah. There's always time. But, uh, well, let's let's go there for a second. I mean, of course, we I want to get more towards the, the end days of drop bass, but do you ever see it, um, like, coming back? Do you have any desire, or now you just kind of like, whatever? It, it's it, it sucks, because it's like, it's like the, kind of like the bane of my existence. You know, you just want to do one more. All, you know, mm-hmm. it's like when I, when I quit, I was totally ready to quit. You know, I was done and came out here, bought this farm where you're at now and everything, you know, it was just like, did the record label for a few years, but then, you know, 9-11 and every, you know, the record industry crashed and all the distributors going away. And it was like, then I'm just left with, you know, no connection to the scene, you know, and got into farming and whatnot. And, uh, but you're still like wanting to do another party, mm-hmm. you know, but like, I don't know, Woody said something a while ago on, on some post where it's like he commented about, you know, it's like that both of his balls, his sack, and his penis could fit inside of one of my balls, you know? And that was kind of like my deal at the time, you know? You said you're just doing it, you got big balls, you're not scared of anything, you know? You're judgment-proof, you know? You don't mm-hmm. own anything, you know? So fuck the world, you know? You can sue me all you want, you're not getting anything, you know? And it's just like you just you just did it, you know? It was mm-hmm. punk, you know? But all of a sudden now you own things, you're responsible. You have more to lose. It's got everything to lose. You know, it's like all everything I worked for for those 12 years, you know, could be turned around all at in one moment, you know. But at the same time, like there's ways of doing it, you know. And 
yeah it's just like it would it would be really awesome to do like another mm-hmm. further like a, a reunion kind of thing because i mean people ask for it all the time you yeah. know and, and it's like it's a given that it would go but it's just a matter of like it's got to be it's got to be right it's got to be on my terms you know mm-hmm. it can't be like i'm not going to walk into like this slick venue and like you know and do another further just do another further it's got to mm-hmm. be it's got to have that same chaos that same feel you know it's got you know even though we're all over 40 now or whatever and like we're probably not going to well, I don't know. We still do these parties out here, and we get pretty hard. So, like, yeah. I guess uh, I don't know. I don't know what it would be, but it's just got to be right. You know, it's just I'm not going to do it just to do it. Yeah. Well, I mean, you actually, it's not just about making money for you. I mean, not at all. But of course, making it's cool. Yeah, yeah, <laughs> Let's yeah. Be I'm, honest. I've never argued about that. But um, yeah. I mean, when it comes down to it, you know, I guess further 2000, 2001. That was getting towards the end. You did some Halloween parties and some parties after that. But at that point, was it? Uh, I know you kind of had some pressure on you. The eyes were on you. There's a lot of rumors. Some people say, like, the FBI was knocking on your door saying this isn't happening, further is not going to happen at this place. I don't know if it's true or not, but, you know. It was like a, a combination of a lot of things. Like, we had done a bunch of New Year's parties prior to 99 at uh, at the Rave in Milwaukee, mm-hmm. and he was in trouble with the IRS. So you always had the IRS coming to your door. They came a few times, you know. Where's our cut? Huh? Asking where's our cut? No, just asking about like what you did there because like oh, okay. he didn't want to admit to anything that was going on at his place, you know. So he just gave them lists of promoters, you know, mm-hmm. and it was kind of. But then at the same time, just like seeing how like disorganized those guys were, it was like almost like, well, shit, I don't got nothing to worry about with them people, mm-hmm. you know. But I don't know, they're like laying around here somewhere. It's like in further two thousand and. 2000 the one that the one that you went to with marky g and stuff you mm-hmm. know i went the total legal route on that one you know and went got all the permits i needed and and went through like the town board and the county board and the township you know and got it all like good to go with this uh new age festival that we were doing mm-hmm. you know yeah and i mean i spent months on this thing you know and it was like so much stress and money and like and and all this and and then at the end of the day it's like a kid gets hauled away in a helicopter and a girl dies at a powwow, you know, like a, in that same county, but then they blame us because it was a, an OD, you know, mm-hmm. and it was like all that just like all that work and goodwill, you know, and everything just thrown out the window because of like stupid mistakes other people I made, know. you know, and it was just sort of like a kick in the nuts, you know, and and then after that it was like the next couple furthers was like people just started it's kind of like speed came into the scene then you know and yeah, people were did. just sketchy you know so it's like whereas we could do parties and you know you could just leave everything out it's like now shit was always getting stolen you know mm-hmm. had turntables stolen and mixers and you know can't count how many cartridges you know just all this stupid shit you know that was just like making me mad you know it's like come on you guys you're not getting this you know it's like mm-hmm. this is this is cool you know don't fuck it up <laughs> you know, like, yeah i mean that was that kind of seems like it was a general consensus across well, the whole United States, I remember there was the herb cover, like, are we too high and stuff like that. And that kind of was signaling the end in a way, or right. at least where it was starting to die off. And I just, I didn't know, like, if, if you were fed up or if it was just getting increasingly difficult or all of the above. Or... Well, it was, it was, it wasn't necessarily, it was getting difficult because now everybody knew, you know. So venue, finding venues wasn't as easy. But at that point, we were only doing a couple parties a year, you know, big ones. Mm-hmm. So it would still, it was worth it. But like I had mentioned earlier, just like the whole like conceptualization of the whole thing was just wearing on me, you know, and just like trying to make this stuff interesting to me still, you know, it wasn't, 
it just kind of wasn't I wasn't feeling it and then at the end of the day you know it's like you're getting where instead of getting 4,000 people you're getting a thousand you know and instead of making you know this much mm-hmm. you're making you know couple thousand dollars you're like you know a guy can't live off six months exactly. off of two thousand dollars i might as well own yeah. a record label for that <laughs> and by this point you're into your like mid-30s late 30s yeah roughly and so it's just your priorities change a bit i mean of course like nobody wants to stop partying or something but you would think maybe there's other things i want to do or this isn't all there is to it mm. well there, i mean one of the things i want to do is not go to jail so it's like i That's mean a big one. Our, our last party party was uh in june 2002 which was our 10 year anniversary that jesus party. raves yep, jesus raves and is that oh, one? right here right so this year like i had tried that year like i said I'd done 80 some parties we only lost money on a couple you know and then that year i did a me and party woody were supposed to do a party up in duluth this yeehaw party which oh it got canceled, got canceled before it even started you know but we lost a lot of money on that and then I thought, okay, I'm going to try, like, that was when people started doing club events more, you know? So mm-hmm. I tried to do this series of parties, these parties I called Underground Inc., and those all flopped, you know? So then there was three of those where I lost a bunch of money, and I was just, like, kind of just over it, you know? So then this 10-year anniversary party, we did Jesus Raves, and I just was like, all right, I'm going to get the guys that are my heroes from back in the, mm-hmm. you know, Adam X and Nick Nice and Mr. Bill and Phantom 45 and stuff, and we did it in an abandoned theater that was long since condemned again just found a a, a a temporary use permit from another venue and and doctored it to make it look like we had something legal and did this like it was were you at this party uh i think steve wanted me to go and i just didn't go oh, okay. I mean, <laughs> to be was, honest insane. i didn't want to get in the car and i wish i would have it was insane because it was just like it was a, it was as old school as it gets for 2002 you know and it was like super underground and we went we, this theater in itself was just like I said falling apart so it just had like the whole vibe was cool there but then mm-hmm. we just decorated you know just with this whole dark thing and then like all this uh performance art stuff there it was like it was seriously crazy but then like when i get done with it you know uh, you know you're walking away with a thousand dollars you know it's like mm-hmm. i can't do this anymore that's and, a lot of work right and then right around this time was when the rave act was coming and so it's like we had we didn't talk about this before, but like before a lot of my parties, I would always like trip, you know, and try mm-hmm. to like get in the mindset and think about things, you know, and it was, you know, it was the, the hippie side of me, you yeah, know, I had to, had to get cosmic, you know, and see mm-hmm. how's this going to work, you know, and, and if it, if I came out of that with a good vibe, you know, like, all right, full steam ahead, you know, and there's, you know, the, the cosmos isn't going to let me down exactly. or whatever, but this one, it was dark, you know, it was like, oh, this is going to be bad, you know, so but I still had to do it because I was just like, it was our 10 year anniversary. And I was like, I was just kind of like, fuck everything at the time, you know? And so like, this was the last party I planned. Like I didn't plan a further that year. I didn't plan a new year's party. I was like, cause I was convinced that I was going to do this and I was mm-hmm. going to jail. Like it, oh, it was, wow. it was over, you know, like, and we ended up doing the party and it went off and then the cops didn't show up until like eight in the morning while Nick nice was Nick nice was playing. And, and so I was like, Holy shit. But, then I was left, you know, like with, you know, that's the end of June is like, I don't have time to plan a further anymore, you know? And so it's mm-hmm. like, I don't know. And then, but then some other kids did a party in this same venue about four months later. And then the cops showed up that one. And it was another one where they arrested everybody, you know, several hundred people. And actually it wasn't the same venue. It was right next door. And so it was kind of like the writing on the wall for me. Like we, I just missed getting in a lot of trouble, you know? And that's yeah. what the whole like uh, thing in my head was, was like, there's something bad, but it didn't happen to me. It happened to somebody else, you know? And I guess like, I felt like I had pushed my luck on a lot of things, 
but I didn't want to be the martyr, you know. And like that Donnie guy down in New Orleans was mm-hmm. was fighting that crack house law at the time, you know. And I'd heard Disco it cost, Donnie, yeah. yeah, I heard it cost him millions, you know, to like fight it. And I was like, I just don't want to be that guy, you know. It's mm-hmm. like I'm not nothing. I'm not nothing's going to come out of this for me, you know. Yeah. So it's like, I, it was, yeah, I was just wanted to be done then. <laughs> yeah, I mean, by the, by that point, you uh, you did your part. You didn't owe anybody anything, and so you know, I don't think you. I don't think anything less of you by saying like, "All right, I my part's done here." You know what I mean? And yeah, I mean, and I, I looked like you know, obviously looking at all these things, I looked to to rock and roll for a lot of things, you know. And you know, Neil Young, it's better to burn out than fade away. It's just like you know, go out with a bang, you know, mm-hmm. and then hey, see you later, you know. And it's like I'm not gonna just kind of like ride this thing, you know. And luckily, I'm glad I didn't because like 2003, four, you know, five <laughs> were pretty bad yeah. for this whole deal, you know. But it would have been nice to to stick around uh i don't think i would have got into edm though anyways but yeah well i mean yeah there's a i really i don't i don't know if you really keep up with much music lately these days but there's a lot of stuff where i think about it and i either buy the records or i hear the promos and i'm thinking like this is totally drop based this is further music like there's a there's a huge well i wouldn't say huge but there's definitely a demographic for it now but uh in yeah, America, I mean, just, you know, just following it like I do from a, from a distance, you know, because I only buy vinyl and stuff, so I don't, you know, and there's no record stores anymore, and I don't, I mean, I haven't, I shouldn't say I only buy vinyl, I haven't bought any records in a long time, but yeah. I mean, just like reading, reading things and like listening to stuff people are posting and everything, it's like, it seems like there is a resurgence, like on this whole like dirty acid kind of mm-hmm. vibe that we used to do way back then, you know, and I mean, yeah, I, I don't think there's any uh shortage of uh people who we would want to play at a party you know oh yeah i mean just off the top of my head i can think of four or five people where if you booked them you'd be like this is uh 93 94 all over yeah again, yeah you yeah know? for sure but um yeah so i guess after after you did jesus raves you did a couple of new year's parties i was at those last two um matthew deer that was right before he was just previewing his kind of audion project that really went on to become uh kind of the sound for the mid aughts you know adam j dormouse again tracks so even right up to the end you had you know the the lineups definitely didn't uh go down in quality you know what i mean like some people they start to cut costs or something and this still whether you did cut costs or not i don't know but i mean it didn't appear as so like everything seemed to keep the tenacity yeah, yeah no those those are still you know those last three new year's parties were legit and but i mean they were in a, in a smaller venue and they weren't nothing like the new year's parties that we had done before but it was yeah it was just kind of just that we were just sort of like in there was still we just didn't want to let it go you know it was like a good night you know and, and mm-hmm. thought man if we just don't do new year's like someone else is going to take this over you know yeah. it's like and, and and jack trash did yeah <laughs> what was it spark or something yeah I think? stellar spark they yeah. do some parties over at our old venue you know so i think they're still doing them actually they might be yeah. he's not involved but like you know they're they're yeah whoever, they were doing whoever this whole, owns it now that whole right and they do this whole pay-to-play thing you know and it's just mm-hmm. like it's against everything that we stood for you know it was like not the way we want, would wanted to see it go yeah but you know uh, like the website says, even mountains crumble, man. You know what I mean? Like it's funny you say that because you know the guy that I was talking about before who like gave me the, the the speech about you know like the older guys actually being in controls of the scenes. You know, like that was mm-hmm. this guy Stan, this artist, and he was the one. He um his art his house was burning down, and you know you're an artist. You know that stuff's not replaced. You know, it's, oh, yeah. it, I was just I couldn't even fathom what he was going through. You know, and he's just standing there with this you know 
blank look on his face. I was like, Stan, man, I don't even know what to say. And he just looked at me and he's like, you know, and told just monotone, just like, even mountains crumble, man. And I yeah. was just like, holy shit. Like, it's true. <laughs> I'm using this in 20 years when I'm done throwing parties. <laughs> I mean, it's, uh, yeah, I mean, it's, uh, it's a big statement, but I mean, like, that sums it up perfectly. You know, no, yeah, nothing's and, and, forever. And, and, right. And to expand on that, it's like, it's kind of what's on our website now from like when we, said we weren't going to be doing further anymore i was like you know even though mountains do crumble the 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 majesty of what was there will always be there oh yeah so it's like and that's what this all is like that's what these books represent here is is like these are just memories you know you can't take that away you know the mountain might be gone but like what built that mountain is still there you know that's why we're still talking about it right now 10 years later that's why you have the barn set up with the all the crazy shit, you know what I mean? Like, you have a legion of followers on, on the internet, and, uh, you know, like I said, still all the time when I'm on the road, uh, drop bass comes up, like, way more than you would imagine. You know, some labels, like, people are like, oh, did they ever bring up, like, honestly, uh, I thought DJ Slip was amazing and everything. Like, some of the people that are crate diggers, they really are like, oh, yeah, Slip, he was out in Minneapolis or something like that. But everybody I talk to seems to know about drop bass, you know what right, I mean? Right, right, right. Um, yeah, yeah, Slip, I love that guy. He's, uh, I mean, I don't play records a lot, but I, I have a crate of records, you know, that I constantly play. Mm-hmm. And, you know, his two releases on, on the label are always in that crate. Oh, yeah. He's, he's next level in so many ways. <laughs> yeah, I mean, he, he really was before his time. You know, like, I think if he was if he was a guy now, like, he was maybe not the most tightest DJ, but these right. days you have, like, Tractor and all that, and people can do it well. Like, he was an incredible producer. Like, if he could do his thing... If if he had that period now, like he'd you know yeah, everybody would be all after him. You know what I mean? And that's the thing. You know, a lot of these people on these parties or these lineups. You know, the thing is, a lot of the people that are into techno right now, or not even just techno, but house, or in this scene, they're all people that didn't. They don't even know minimal existed uh, <laughs> eight years ago. Like there's, and I'm not even saying that like I'm I'm cooler or better, but it's like you know, there's like a this four or five year cycle where people. Right kind of come in and out of things and some people like us just stay around because we don't know when to leave but uh you know uh a lot of people don't know about this stuff and i don't know they don't necessarily have to go research all of it but someday they're gonna be like oh yeah they connect the dots you know well it's even me you know having been involved in this since since 87 88 and and like thinking i knew as much as i knew but then that underground is massive book came out recently and you know where they were, were just talking about like the different things that led up to where we're at now and mm-hmm. it was you know several things in there that I like had no idea you know and I was like wow if I had known this then <laughs> you know yeah I mean I uh I read a couple passages because it, it just came out recently this summer yeah. and uh I still got to pick it up because you know any book that comes out about this stuff uh I want to know about and it kind of seemed like there was a lot of you know talking to the right people and the right stories and whatnot and uh I, I think, you know... Incidentally, we're on page 303 in that book, and I, 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 that's one of those magical cosmos really? things. That it just, wasn't planned. It's not even a chapter that has anything to do with us. It's just like all of a sudden he starts trop, talking about drop bass in this EDM part, and like it's on page 303, you know? Perfect. <laughs> Perfect. Like, it was. Yeah, I mean, you know, that that's a thing like, uh, you know, in Europe you have uh, massive parties like Tomorrowland just happened this past weekend in Belgium. You have Awakenings, which is a oh, big Van institution. Oh, Van Buren killed it, I heard. It was great. Oh, yeah, I heard it was really good. <laughs> I actually have bookmarked the video. I'm going to watch it when I get home. But, um, you know, like uh, just legendary parties you had bogged out, out in the UK and stuff like that. And, uh, 
So it's not to say that they didn't have legendary parties, and there's things that people remember certain sets and stuff. But it, the Midwest, people drove everywhere to go to these parties. Like people would go to drop bass parties from Cincinnati, New York. People would go all over, and then we go to their parties every weekend. So. Yeah. Um, and yeah, it wasn't know, a local scene; it was definitely yeah. regional. That's or, what... or if somebody's like, "Oh, you know, Richie Houghton at uh, I don't know, Live on the Decks Three, or Thomas Bingalter at We, or like people remember those. It's not just like, oh yeah, I saw such and such a DJ at you know one of these festival parties. Like people, it's a it was a more intimate thing, and everything that went into it, rather from the road trips to the the shenanigans of getting together, it's pretty insane stuff. So I'm looking forward to reading that book. I hope it dives into it a little bit. Yeah, I mean, there's I got I traveled with Tommy Sunshine from '92 to '94, so there's road trip stories that I don't even. Yeah. <laughs> I gotta talk to him, see what he's willing to say. I just I don't even know what the hell I was thinking, <laughs> to be honest with you. Yeah, and it's, I mean, it's cool. Like even now, you know, it's like I, I'm sort of like I said, I'm disconnected with a lot of it. But just recently, I went to Madison and. Uh, What's his name? Uh, Francois Kevorkian yep, was playing yeah. there, and I had no idea who this guy was. You know, and I mean, I've seen the name around mm-hmm. and looked. I went. I was just like, you know, I don't like controller DJs either, but it was like he just blew me away. You know, and then mm-hmm. I come back and I look. I'm like, who was this guy? You know, and I look. I was like, oh my god! Like, <laughs> yeah, <laughs> how did I miss this boat? You know, this is good. You know, and that's what I was talking about. Like finding out things. You know, they you know have been going on this whole time and are still going on. It's kind of just like that glimmer of hope you know that like mm-hmm. could still do something there's plenty of people that have been are still doing what they you know were doing way back then yeah i mean even the scale of it isn't uh i i think it's irrelevant like you said you still have some some things out here in the barn once in a while and it doesn't matter if it's 40 people or 4000 or 400 you know if it counts for those people then that's what matters well that's what's know? cool about this you know and i, I mean after, at the last one we were talking about uh me and david prince he he flew out for it i mean there's 100 150 people come out to my annual party here you know and you know there's people that fly in from portland and san francisco and detroit and in mm-hmm. new york and you know it's that's weird you know I, well uh <laughs> and, yeah go on sorry well, i was just saying it was like for me like me and dave were talking about you know i've been kicking around this idea of like this documentary thing you know and and it, my whole perspective of it was like going back and starting there and you know and dave was like no you need to start here because like this is what you know then go back you know this is what's going on you know and i got to thinking about like in there was like this uh when herb magazine used to do their next 100 thing you Mm -hmm. know like every year i was in that in 96 you know and uh, you know said some outlandish stuff in there or whatever but one of the things that was talking about was just like like the the end of this was going to be just getting a farm and like being in the country and doing this and and, and having it matter you know and here we are and then and like and it, when when dave like told me that and just like hit me like a ton of bricks like i was like holy sh-, you know this is what i this is what i was talking about you know and mm-hmm. it's like it, it happened you know and it's like for everybody that comes out well, not everybody for most of the people that come out here it's like we're a family you know and it's like this is our family reunion mm-hmm. this is our weekend you know and, and yeah, it's just it's cool, you know. <laughs> yeah, I mean it's 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 not like uh you don't buy tickets and come out. It's more like sort of an invite only family affair. Friends of friends are welcome, but right, you know totally. it's you you know, you you're responsible for who comes sort of thing. And it's you know, for people that aren't out here, I mean it literally is a barn. You can see the sun shining through the slats right now. Um we're out in the middle of Wisconsin, we pass by Amish buggies. For people in Europe, the Amish are different culture they don't believe in electricity or technology 
and uh, you know, this is where he's living they're, they're now. Definitely this is what's off going the grid. On. <laughs> they're they're off the grid, and uh, it's just a really strange juxta- juxtaposition. So. Yeah, I think what in, on that when I was talking about it being on page three hundred three in this book, he was talking just sort of about the end for like some of the promoters that were doing this in the nineties, and I think the last line where he mentions me there, he talks, he says it's the the irony of the guy who's grew up throwing parties in barns in the nineties is now a farmer, you know, and yeah. <laughs> it's just like all these things that I never even thought of, you know, realized, whatever. And I was just like, wow, this is all coming full circle. <laughs> so sometimes you need people to tell you these They got to point out the obvious, you know. But so, okay, let's get on to it. Like, what are you farming now then? I, well, I moved out here with not the intention of farming. You know, it was just like I had to get away. I lived in a warehouse in, in Milwaukee. It was underneath a mm-hmm. freeway interchange and I got eminent domain out of there and I just wanted a lot of land and I wanted to have a place to just get away, you know, mm-hmm. and, uh, I used to race motocross, you know, so it was a place to have tracks and stuff. And, but I, so I moved out here, but I didn't know anybody and I didn't, I didn't really think it through, you know, I bought this place and after a year I was realized I didn't know anyone or anything and ended up getting a job at this company called Organic Valley, which is like the largest organic, uh, dairy cooperative in the country. And, worked for them in marketing you know basically mm-hmm. setting up and taking down little furthers every Never weekend or whatever yeah. <laughs> you know, for for milk you know and the whole time we don't have a lot of marketing money over there so our whole thing is promoting farmers you know that it's a cool occupation you know mm-hmm. that this is what people should still be doing you know and i just sort of like fell into that you know like well that's what i'll do you know so mm-hmm. I, i'm a beef cattle out here now and i just work part-time over there in in their marketing and part-time here on the farm and spend a lot of time daydreaming about the day that I'm going to do another further and, and how I'm going to get the label up to drop base 75. And you know. is the label going to come back? It was close this spring. You know, I, had, I ran into an old friend who was, she moved out here and was going to help me, you know, and cause I, I, when we were, you know, when the whole digital shift happened, you know, and uh, we had friends at Beatport and stuff, you know, and they wanted to put us in it, you mm-hmm. know, and, I didn't own those rights to any of my songs, you know, I just had the, the rights to pr- reproduce mm-hmm. them on vinyl, you know, and I just didn't want to go through all that hassle. And at the time I was like, you know, you're putting out a thousand, twelve hundred records, you know, and you have you know enough to make the mm-hmm. artist happy and you happy. But then when Final Scratch come out and everything, so then all of a sudden you're down to like five or six hundred records and then, you know, 9-11 happens, all these distributors close, then you're down to like 400 records, so now you're just breaking even, you know, so nobody's making money, and I was just so angry at digital that I didn't, uh, I, I missed that boat. Yeah. <laughs> so, so like, I was, you know, she was going to come out here and help me relaunch everything, you know, and it just didn't end up panning out, you know, but I mean, it's like, those next four releases are, are there and, and waiting, you know, and like, the people who are going to do them want to, it's just, uh, trying to understand the market you know or how things are done now you know and mm-hmm. and, and, and ironically when i was at that francois k event over in madison I ran into uh brian gillespie who runs the database records mm-hmm. and all you know all those labels in detroit yeah and he lives in madison now and you know i had no idea he's like only an hour from me and so me and him got to talk i mean we used to use all the same mastering and all the same pressing plants and all the same everything you know and so we were just talking about like the he was telling me how things go now, you know, basically. Mm-hmm. And I had talked to Adam X a while ago and 
the way he was making it seem was it was like a labor of love, you know, and I don't have really time for a labor of love with Fair farming, enough. but like, you know, talking with Brian, like there, there's, there's ways to do this, you know, and still make it yeah, not so much. It's you're not. It's not going to be like it was in the '90s, but it's going to be. You know, it's just going to add. It could keep going on. You know, it doesn't yeah, have keep to be the legacy going. Right. I mean, yeah. The thing is, is doing a label right now is it's kind of in a way a lost cause. It is a labor of love. There's still some people though where they tell me what the sales are, and I mean everybody lies about their sales, obviously. But some people, you know, I'm good enough friends, and they tell me their numbers. I'm like, you're still doing that in 2015. That's incredible. You know what I mean? And then other like guys are bad. like, what's that? Like good or bad? Great. You oh, know? great. Okay. But I mean, like, you know, these days, you know, a lot of people don't realize that if you sell 300 vinyl copies, they, that's considered good. But, uh, I mean, well, that's what I was talking there's with people Brian, that are you know, still he's... selling five, 6,000 copies. And, right. You know? You know, I've, I've been, obviously, you, I wouldn't have all this here in front of me if I wasn't a hustler, you know? And so it's like, I think, you know, I could still do it. And that's what he was telling me. Like when when I was talking to other people about it, you know, they were talking, you know, vinyl's a lost cause. You got to do this, 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 and this. You know, things I wasn't so interested in. But then talking to Brian, you know, he's like, no, he still sells three hundred records. You know, three, four, five hundred, whatever. You just gotta want it. You just gotta just mm-hmm. gotta do it. You know, and it's it's not impossible. You know, just gotta. I, I mean, same thing as always. Just be in, in touch with the right people. And I don't know. I just I like I'm a I'm a numbers kind of guy. You know, and it was like. Steve, who you wrote up here, was mm-hmm. was my last release on Drop Bass, and yeah. that wasn't where it was supposed to end. It was, it was yeah. I, I had this whole plan for Drop Bass seventy five, you know, it had, but I just never got to it, you know. And it would be cool to get to hundred, even, you know. Mm-hmm. Well, don't co- don't don't count it out. You know what I mean? No, but, and like, and yeah, there things are always shifting, you know, and it's just I've always ebbed and flowed with things, you know. I don't do things. It was I was always. For, for a while I was in five year cycles and then I did a couple 10 year cycles. So now this is the 10th year of, of what I'm doing now. So it might be time for a, another cycle shift. Why not? Right. <laughs> I don't know what that's going to mean though. Well, hopefully good things. Right. Know, so. <laughs> and it was just encouraging, you know, like running into guys like you and Zach and everything, you know, just people that are making it happen, you know, and yeah, there's like, still it, a possibility or a possibility, a, but, and it's, it's not just a, just a possibility. It's cool. You know, it's yeah. like, it's, it, it would still be fulfilling, you know? Mm-hmm. Yeah. I mean, I, I think what it comes down to is a lot of people, whether they want to do parties or the label, everybody has great intentions, but they don't have the right vision. And not only do you have to have the right vision, but like you said, you got to ha- kind of know the numbers a little bit. And not only do you have the vision, and since you're a numbers guy, it's just about making sure it's right. Just as like if you want to do another further, you know what I mean? Right. Like if the if it all aligns perfectly, then I'm sure it'll go well. You know what I mean? There's people that I, I can think of off the top of my head, whether it's labels or people who are aspiring that I know either right now they'll make it or they won't. And, um, you know. It just comes down to having your ducks in a row, and you clearly do. So it's just a matter of getting that push. I think you can do it. So <laughs> yeah, I mean, I, well, and like two things I was gonna mention. One was like having gone to a bunch of some shows this summer. I mean, people's expectations are really low. You know, <laughs> like they go to they see a DJ on a controller in a club, and they walk out talking about how it was magical. And I was like, are you fucking kidding me? Like oh, yeah. that, that was good, but it was far from magic. You know, like standing in the middle of the dance floor when you know scott hardkiss is dropping rocket man and like everybody's crying and like just it's like this you, you feel yourself floating practically because at a hardcore party too, right you know, know what I mean? that's magical like <laughs> yeah. you know just hearing a really good dj set in a rock club is not magical i'm sorry you no. know so it's like you know it, it i feel like 
the masses, you know, like their, their expectations, you know, I could do a shitty party and like, it would be good for them, you know, yeah. but that isn't what I want to do. And then the and I forgot what the second part was. Yeah. <laughs> It'll come to me. Oh, the other thing was uh, these, uh, you know, just things that are going on. You know, it's like cool seeing all these big parties, you know, the Tomorrow Worlds and the EDCs and stuff. You know, I mean, that's pretty powerful, like just mass gatherings like that. What's your opinion on it all, EDM and all that in a nutshell? I mean, obviously you don't like the music or the culture per se. But... Well, no, I mean, I, I don't want to say I don't like the music because, like, I, I've always been a bass head you know so it's mm -hmm. like miami bass was always my thing and like hip house you know just stuff that was 808 driven you know so it 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 sucks to say that i do like some of this trap music and stuff that's out there because it's just so <laughs> like it's so low and heavy mm -hmm. but like it's but it's so f formulaic and so mm -hmm. cheesy you know at the same time you know and it's like i hate music that's why i hated about trance you know it was like it just it doesn't allow it it's telling you when to feel what you need to feel, you know? Mm -hmm. And it's like, okay, here's where you can throw your hands in the air and here's where you're going to scream. And then, okay, now here's where you're going to get down. You know, exactly. it's like, no, I want to listen. You know, like when I went to Richie Houghton, when he did his, uh, consumed party at the Masonic, Masonic temple, you know, in, uh, Detroit, it was like, there was nothing to dance to in there. It was like so minimal and so beatless and just so like, like you were searching for things to dance for. And that was, you know, there was a challenge, you know, and it was like, that was next level. Mm -hmm. You know, that's what was cool. You was know? that, that was around 96 around concept or was that maybe it was, it was whatever the album was. It was the black one with the slit on the front of it. Oh yeah. That was, that, that was, was consumed. consumed yeah, yeah. 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 They did. He did a party for that okay. album there. And it was just like, it was so like, just, mm -hmm. oh, I still think about that. You know, you're just like, mm -hmm. there like if you sent one of these EDM kids in there, they would just start crying, you know, because yeah. I was like, what? they're not telling me what to do here, yeah. you know? Well, I mean, that's just it. Like people often ask my opinion about the EDM scene. I'm like, well, first of all, it doesn't concern me. It's it's pop. It's right. just, it's just a different scene, even though there's turntables. Bob Dylan and Metallica have guitars. They're different. But uh, and I'm even though I don't like the music, I'm supportive of people having a good time. I'm totally, supportive yeah. of people like... I hope that the guys that are like 18, 19 right now that are going to Ultra and taking their first pill or doing whatever it is they do, I hope that when they're 28, they have great stories to tell and could sit here at the table and drink beers and talk about it too. But, um, you know, I, I think, you know, it kind of sounds like the Wolbeck in my day. Right. Thing, but like really, uh, they're in a very protected environment. So it isn't quite the same. Like while they're having a lot of fun, they don't necessarily have to fear for their life. And that shouldn't be the qualification in order to have like a great party. But I'll tell you what, it really adds to it. Yeah, I mean, that's what Hunter S. Thompson always talked about was just the, the chaos in the air in the 60s. That's what made the 60s the 60s. And that's why mm -hmm. now isn't like it was then because, you know, that it seemed like at any any second that all could explode, you know. and like, mm -hmm. But now you just don't – that's now the way things are now, you know. But I mean, like it's encouraging, you know. Like on those, le I don't, I don't hate on those parties. They're impressive as hell, you know. The production is mind blowing, you know. And like mm -hmm. before, I was talking about being like a a big fish in a big pond. Like that's a really big pond, you know. And if you can, oh, yeah. those kids, you know, they're if they're into that, I don't, you know, they don't all want. They're gonna search out other things, you know. So if like if you were doing something, then you know, and and were to like get some of those people, that's a, you know, if there's. 150,000 people at that party and you can get a, a few of them to come your 1%, way. 1%, that's a good payday <laughs> that's, for That's really party, good. You know? you know, I mean, we could, you know, we're back in the day promoting to the same three, 4,000 kids all the time, you know, mm -hmm. and it's like just trying to convince them to have another weekend out, you know, so that's what's cool. And then the, the other thing I was going to say was uh, there's these parties that are going on, like like the Bang Face parties in, mm -hmm. in the UK, like, 
first time I stumbled on that on YouTube, I was just like, holy shit, how did I not know about this? I was like, oh, because it didn't start till after I quit throwing parties, uh-huh. you know? But it's like, that's a drop base party right there. That's oh, yeah. what I would be doing, you know, exactly <laughs> what that is. That's where we were heading, you know, just like all the props and just like the mm-hmm. same music and the same vibe, you know, and just like people going off, you know? I mean, so to do something like that would be really cool, you know? And then that it's out there, like people are doing it. So I guess mm-hmm. it, it can happen. Yeah, I mean, it just comes down to the, the right place, right time, right So people. if anybody listening to this has a, a further venue. <laughs> exactly. Uh, you know, hold get after it right away. And then let me know when that is so I can clear my Just schedule sure for the open. weekend. <laughs> and then uh, have some grapefruit ready for me because I'm going to go all in on that motherfucker. <laughs> we're going to need to make sure Zach's around too because we're going to need some turbo sound. Exactly. He's got 30,000 speakers, so let's do it. Oh, man. I, there's a party going on this weekend where it's an EDM party up in northern Wisconsin that he's doing sound at. You know, I have no interest in the music, you know, but... I'm, 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 I'm feeling like I'm going to have to make a three-hour drive up there just to hear this sound outside of his warehouse. <laughs> yeah, I mean, it's, uh, I, you know, Steve and I did a 15-year Intellifunk party a couple of years ago now, and he had just purchased a lot of that turbo sound. And, uh, you know, of course, in, in the Midwest, especially in Minnesota and Wisconsin, it's always a dick measuring contest. How right. big of a wall can you get? I think we got like 24 dual 18 inches and <laughs> half a dozen high packs or something. It was way too much bass. Everything was shaking off. Like we brought in Heiko Lauks and all these guys, and everybody's like taping their equipment to the wall. <laughs> I was doing my first live PA in four years, and like cables were coming disconnected. And We've reached like, the limit. Yeah, and uh, I really thought the owner was going to be pretty pissed, but he was loving it. And uh that that's one thing that I love about the Midwest is we can still have a great wall here in 2015. Yeah, it, it was a dick measuring contest until Woody did that blast off two party at the Expo Center in Madison, and it was like, you know, 100 cabinets in in two yeah. rooms, you know, and just these walls that like you know you couldn't see the other end of. It. I was like, all right, I'm I'm done. Like People I'm out. I'm out of this away. contest. Yeah. Like because I can't compete with this. Yeah, it's incredible. <laughs> you know, um, that's that's one thing. Like Europe, when it comes to light shows and stuff like that, it's incredible like I've, I've done awakenings a handful of times for me that's one of the best light shows you can get um including video and all that tomorrowland looks pretty cool too but that's more commercial but and the, the sound can generally be good but it's not quite like the, the big wall right that, right you know yeah they're flying everything so it's hard to be mm-hmm. into that like 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 the walls that we used to do back in the day exactly but uh i don't know we're about two hours in here and i'm sure we could go multiple more uh but I think I'll just next time I'll have to come back and we're gonna have to get drunk and talk about more things. So <laughs> come up with some more lies. Yes. Well, thanks for having me. Yeah, thanks for coming down. Yeah. I hope it was worth the drive. Oh definitely. So <laughs> thank right. you. It definitely cleared up some questions for me. So All right. All right. Bye bye.